Good to have you here, three and out on this Thursday afternoon. Kevin Thomas, BJ Bennett, Ben Troop. Glad you're making us a part of your day. A lot to get to here on the show. We'll hear from Matt Johnson with Sports Talk. Talk some baseball with him. Also, DJ Cadden of the George Ann uh, will join us coming up in our number one. Jason Longshore, uh, soccer uh, analyst for the Atlanta United Radio Network, will join us coming up. And Shane Hallam of Draft Countdown will join us in the final hour of the program. But spring practices all across. Uh, the country going on, and we kind of make our jump around uh, the state of Georgia. Kennesaw State back at it after an 11-2 and season last year, undefeated in conference play. Their head coach, Brian Bohannon, joins us here on 3 and Out. Coach, welcome. How are you? I'm doing great. How about you guys? Uh, doing fantastic. I know the last handful of years at the FCS level have been kind of strange to, you know, the ups and downs playing some in the spring, and uh, to finally get a full season in last year, 11-2, and had to feel good. And uh, how do you carry that momentum here into spring? Well, we got to, and I tell you, it was a, it was a great fall, um, and, and we finished out the conference the right way. We're transitioning to the Atlantic Sun. Uh, didn't finish the playoffs the right way, but we did finish the conference the right way. And I tell you, this spring, the best thing for us is we have a normal off season. Last spring, we were playing a season. Right now, we've been through our normal progression of weight training, of morning runs. Uh, we had a break, and then we started spring ball last week, so... We'll be on practice uh, number five uh, tomorrow. So we're excited to be in a normal offseason and excited about, uh, excited about going into next fall. Coach, what are your biggest priorities here in the spring? Well, I think always fundamentally, you know, you want to make sure you uh, establish depth um, across the board in the spring. And, 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 and I tell our coaches, don't worry about a play call or a defensive call. Worry about a kid doing his job and do them with great effort, attitude, and toughness. And I think there's some areas we got to get some depth. Our inside linebacker, um, our two-back, which is our B-back, and, uh, and then on the offensive line, the secondary, we got to establish some things depth-wise. Uh, in the world of college football, things are so different now, and, and uh, you're, you can't get your roster deep enough anymore. Uh, so we're trying to establish as much depth as we can. There's some areas we got to go establish some starters as well. So I think that along with just the overall uh, buy-in of the program and, and guys pushing themselves to be the best they can be, that's what we're trying to get done. Coach, what are some young guys that will uh, keep contributors in the fall that's going to have uh, bigger roles coming this spring? Well, the, the good thing in, a, in several spots, we do have a lot of guys back. So uh, like our both our quarterbacks are back. Xavier Shepard had a heck of a year last year, um, kind of a breakout year for him with a lot of accolades. Jonathan Murphy was the starter going into the season. He played for us as well last year. Both those guys are back. I think anytime you get your quarterbacks back, that, that helps you for sure. Um, our slots are back. We're actually picking up Isaac Foster, kid who's missed a lot of playing time for us, but has been one of our better players. He's been hurt. He should be back, which will be a, a huge benefit. Um, I think the wideout thing I think is going to be interesting. we got some young guys. Um, Xavier Hill is going to be interesting you know, how he progresses and if he can turn into that guy. Um, and then up front, we got a few guys back. And then defensively, I think our, our, our front four, um, the two deep there can be as good as they want to be. They're very talented. It's deep. Um, and they can be as good as they want to be. So there's some areas. we got some kicking game things we got to sure up as well. We lost some of our, our snapper and our holder. Um, so we, there's, there's a lot of areas we got to get better at. But there's some areas we do have some experience. Coach Brian Bohannon joining us here on Three Night. You mentioned uh, changing conferences. What does that do for you going to the, the to the A Sun? Some new folks. How familiar are you with uh, the, the the Jacksonville States, the the Central Arkansas of the of the conference here? Well, 
played Jacksonville State three times, so we do know about them. Obviously, they're moving to Conference USA, so we'll play them this year in the conference, and that'll be it. Uh, the other schools we have not played, but I'm familiar with, I think it's good sometimes, you know, to change it up a little bit. It gives your kids a, a little bit of new life and, and some different teams to play. I think that's always good. Um, this gets our athletic department all under one conference. We were the only uh, sport in the Big South. I think that's good for our fan base, good for everybody here. Um, so, so yeah, Jacksonville State we know a little bit about. The rest of them will be a little bit new for us as far as we haven't played them. Um, so it'll be exciting, and we're looking forward to it. Consistency has become a you know a big part of your program, winning year to year and maintaining that success. How much of that starts in spring ball? Oh, I think it starts in January. I think um, I think your your season is made in January, February, March, April, um, and then June and July. There's no question about it. I think the off season um, has a direct impact on the season, and I tell our guys that all the time. Um, you know, how they approach things, the work ethic, the team piece. Um, I, that's who we are. Um, you know, we didn't have it last year, and I think it had a, a direct effect on us not progressing further in the playoffs. Um, so it's a really important for us. I think most programs would say that. Um, but it's really, really important for us. We're a, uh, you know, everybody says it, but we're a huge team, huge culture program, um, you know, that, that prides itself on hard work um, and working for your teammates and, and so that, those things are really important. So it, it's, it, it's even before spring ball. It starts in January and February and March and into spring ball and then into the summer. That's where you really the makeup of your football team gets going. Coach, I know you have big expectations for your, you know, your coaching staff as well as your, your players. What, what is your approach uh, this spring? I know that each year you know, as a head coach you take a different approach. Is there a different approach for you this spring? Well, I think every year you, you, you know, every team's different and you – you, you're trying to figure out a little bit of the identity of the team. Because you, you could lose three or four kids off one team, and it's going to change the identity. Um, I think, you know, I, I'm very hopeful that this football team, we lost in a really poor fashion, a way we've never lost in our time here in the playoffs. Uh, we were up 14 points with five minutes to go. And, and honestly, that just doesn't happen to us, and it did. And I think our kids remember that. Um, as bad as it is, it's got to be a motivating factor uh, in the off season. I think uh, some of our morning runs were as good as we've had in a while. Um, we're in spring ball in the pads, and they're a little beat up, and they got to be able to respond uh, in the right way. But um, we're trying to build this thing, and we, you know, it, it, this is a program that talks about nothing but championships. And so, if you want to be that kind of program, you got to go practice it day in, day out. And I think when you look at our approach. That's how we've always approached things here. Uh, don't waste a day. Don't waste a moment. These opportunities, uh, they'll go away really fast if you don't take advantage of them. Brian Bohannon joining us here on 3 and Out. And, Coach, uh, since you've been the only coach there at Kennesaw State, how have you seen the program evolve and grow? You talk about staying, laying the foundation. Hey, we talk about championships. I know that doesn't necessarily just come out of the blue. Uh, you know, obviously, hey, we've never played a game before. We're talking about championship. How have you seen kind of the, the program evolve from the time you took over and you had one helmet and uh, maybe a football? Yeah, that's how we started. I was in a <laughs> cubicle with a pad and a pencil, and I was looking to see if we had a helmet somewhere or a football. <laughs> um, it's been an awesome process. Um, a bunch of great coaches and great people have bought into a vision, a culture, a plan, of the of who we want to be and how we want to do it, and you know it's it's uh, it's been awesome to be a part of. But when we started, nobody knew about us. 
now you can go you can go to Texas, you can go to Montana, you can go out to California, and people know about Kennesaw State. Not only is that a benefit for the football program, but more importantly, that's a benefit for the university. We're, we're continuing to work on being a brand, a name brand, uh, not only just in college football, but our university. You know, when I took the job nine years ago, we had 25,000 students. Right now, we're approaching 42,000 students. Um, a growing school, a popular school, and uh, I think football has the ability to be the front porch to show off, you know, what kind of university we have. So a lot of great stuff, and it has been, um, it has been a huge transformation and we have not even scratched the surface of what we believe we can do here. And, Coach, I mean, I know it's just a spring, and I know it's a long way to get to the fall, but second game of the year, I mean, you guys here to go up against the Cincinnati Bearcats with the success they've had the last couple of years, been a college football playoff, uh, you know, contender last year. How much do you get to be show off what your team can do against a team like Cincinnati? Yeah, we're excited about that. You know, our kids will be fired up for that game. Obviously, a team that's, you know, in the college football playoff, um, have an opportunity to go up there and play. So I, I think that would be a great opportunity for our program. You know, something we haven't done here, we haven't won our, first, our FBS game yet. So that's on, the, that's on the list. You know, we've had a couple games, uh, and we have not found a way to win them. Uh, we've been close in two of them and uh, hadn't found a way to win. So I think that's another item for us, and I know our kids will be excited about that. Brian Bohan and Kennesaw State head football coach, our guest here on 3 and Out. Coach, really appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Thank you all. Brian Bohannon joining us here on 3 Down as the uh, the Owls here in the middle of spring practice around the state of Georgia. And as you said, they're transitioning over to the A-Sun. And, I mean, that's just part of the changing landscape of college athletics. Is, and as he said, it gets everybody into one conference. But uh, obviously still some transition there, some conference members going out after this year. And just a very young program that's had a lot of success very quickly, which has been impressive. And, uh, Kevin, it was interesting hearing him answer your question, say, hey, when I came in, it's kind of conceptual. You know, I had things that well, He started to, the problem. I mean, he's yeah. literally the only coach they've ever had. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And, and now you've gotten to, a, to the point where you're a national contender. You're in the postseason regularly. Ben, I believe you've been up there a couple of times yes. and have visited with the team, have, uh, have, uh, have uh, spoken to the team a couple of times. But Coach Bohannon's done a, done a great job at Kennesaw State. He really, really has. I mean, uh, I got a chance to obviously speak to him a little bit before he came on the show, and I was just saying that most of the time, you know, I said, Coach, y'all kind of like the OKC of, uh, of college football. Y'all, y'all fans know nothing about having – Bad seasons, bad teams, but to be able to do what he's done in such a short time and already be transitioned to another uh, conference, look, man, the Big South, I will say this, they are not sad to see Kennesaw State go. Those dudes, they dominated, you know, in the Big South. But they're going over to the A-Sun, get a big-time test, second game of the year against Cincinnati. That's going to that's gonna be a big-time test for those guys. Like I said, trying to add that FBS uh, win to the list, uh, Kevin and BJ. We've got more to come here on 3 Now. We'll come back. We're talking some Georgia Southern uh, with DJ Cadden of the Georgia and He'll join us next here on 3 and Out, Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you back here, 3 and Out, on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Kevin, BJ, and Ben. Spring practices, as we mentioned, going on all across the South and certainly getting underway there in Statesboro. Everyone's first look at the new regime there in Statesboro. And joining us here, sports editor of the Georgian, DJ Cadden, joins us here on 3 and Out. DJ, welcome. How are you? I'm good. Just happy to be here. Hey, appreciate you coming on, man. And uh, early impressions of, of, of Clay Helton and this team. What have you, uh, you seen so far now that they've actually been able to get out there on the field some? Man, I'm excited. You know, we're finally going away from the triple option. I, I know that's a sore subject for some Southern fans, but I think it'll be good for the program. I think Helton has brought a lot of excitement to the program, especially now that spring practice is underway and we've got to see some of these new guys. 
kind of see the field for the first time. I think there's there's a a, a big sense of excitement in Statesboro. There's always, uh, you know, a, 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 an implementation, of course, when you have a new coaching staff come in and uh, some offensive changes. But uh, what, DJ, do you think are the top priorities here for Clay Helton, his staff, and Georgia Southern this spring? Just kind of in, uh, just kind of installing this offense, I guess. He said it was going to be kind of a balanced offense, still going to run a lot, but we are going to pass a lot more than we have in the past. And he brought in Kyle Vantries from Buffalo, so just getting him kind of used to things and just installing his passing offense I think is the biggest thing that they're focusing on this spring. DJ, when you think about a team like Georgia Southern, obviously big-time expectations uh, without even like looking towards towards the fall. I mean, who do you think is going to be that front-runner at the quarterback position, which I know Georgia Southern faithful are definitely looking forward to that to that competition? You know, I think it is going to be Kyle Van Tree. He, he does have experience in a – and an offense that passes more than Georgia Southern has in the past. He had over 1,800 yards uh, last season for Buffalo. But Cam, but Cam Ransom is a guy I like, too. He gives you the athleticism as a runner that Vantrese wouldn't give you, and he does have a strong arm. He's just very raw as a passer. But I think Kyle Vantrese is definitely the favorite to start this coming fall. Obviously, as you mentioned, uh, DJ, transitioning away from the uh, the option and wanting to throw the ball a little bit more, how does Georgia Southern – Look at the the receiver position. Obviously, you're going to need guys that have become accustomed to blocking, maybe getting three or four targets a game uh, on the outside to obviously a quarterback that's going to want to throw it potentially 20, 25, 30 times a game. You know, last year I would have told you our wide receiver room, wide receiver room looked very poor, but we went – Clay Helms has been working the transfer portal. We have a couple of young guys. One guy I'm excited about from the transfer portal is – uh, Jeremy Singleton from Houston had over 1,200 yards and 10 touchdowns in his four years at Houston. Kind of a speedster guy. You have a guy like Derwin Burgess, who's a young guy too. So I think we definitely have the weapons to have a successful passing offense. And you have guys like Amari Jones and guys like that who I think, think are definitely going to help this transition. This has been talked about a lot. You know, speculation has been in place ever since the the, the hire was announced. But what do you what do you think is the ultimate goal for this offense schematically? I mean, is it to be 50-50? Are we going to see, as Kevin mentioned, maybe some games where the Eagles throw it 30, 35 times a game? What do you think sort of the, the scheme, game plan expectations are for this new-look offense? You know, at first I think it's gonna, I think we, we are going to see a balanced offense, you know, 60-40 run pass, something like that. But I think the ultimate goal is, is to get this to a passing offense. Now, I wouldn't necessarily call it an air raid. But one way we're throwing the ball a lot more than we're running the ball. I don't think we'll see it this year, but definitely in year two or year three, once we kind of bring in some recruits that, that fit this offense and Clay Houghton has some full offseasons, I think it is the ultimate goal is to be more of a pass-heavy offense. Having a guy like Clay Hilton there, I mean, having some stability at the head coach position when those players went through a lot last year going through – dealing with the fact they had to go, uh, you know, have a coach that was uh, fired. What is the post of the team right now? Spring is always a lot more excited about what, how would you uh, classify the post of the team right now? I think everybody's just excited to, to get started under Clay Helton. They're excited to be back on the field, obviously. <clears throat> there's, I, mean, I think all around this program, there's just a, a sense of excitement, just kind of, you know, getting with the times, I guess changing the offense to, to one where we're going to throw the ball more, which hasn't been done in Statesboro in a while. They're just, everybody's just excited. The players are excited. They're, I know a lot of skilled players are excited to play with, with Van Treese and, you know, kind of show that they are 
They can be weapons. They're not just blocking wide receivers. So uh, just overall, there's a, a big sense of excitement just to be back in action. DJ Cadden to George Ann joining us here on 3 and Out. And DJ, what do you think uh, kind of the uh, – take the fan aspect out of it, I guess, the, the realistic kind of expectations for year one. Obviously, you're changing systems, but uh, you have a Sunbelt East that is going to be absolutely stacked uh, with the new teams coming in on top of, obviously, uh, what App State has been able to do, Coastal Carolina the last couple of years. What do you think the kind of realistic first-year progress bar kind of looks like here uh, for Georgia Southern? You know, I think, it's, I think it's hard to predict. I know fans want to see us go out there and, you know, compete for a Sunbelt title again. I don't think it happens in year one. You know, we got a tough schedule with James Madison, Old Dominion, <clears throat> Marshall. Those teams coming into an already stacked East Division and just making the conference even more difficult. I could see this team getting four or five wins if everything goes right, maybe getting that sixth win and making a bowl game. But I think four or five wins in this offense, you know, a lot of guys who weren't recruited to this offense, would be would be a very successful first season for Clay Helton. And Clay Helton, obviously, you know, was the head coach at SC, has has you know been in the Rose Bowl and uh, been a been a big national name. What what has stood out to you about covering him uh, in his short tenure at Georgia Southern thus far? He's, I mean, he's just it, it just feels like he loves Statesboro already. It feels like he's been here forever. I mean, he's he's really just adopted Statesboro, just kind of as his own. You know, he's a Southern guy originally, so he's kind of back in his element after being in California for for all those years. I mean, I think he's just happy to be be back in coaching, you know, back around these guys. I mean, he's just really come back to the South, and he's adopted it like his own, and it's been really cool to see him at all these events and stuff like that. And, DJ, what does it say say about the reputation of a school like Georgia Southern? I mean, when everybody – when Coach Helton first gets – uh, you know, fire from USA. People was wondering where is he going to go, and everybody was thinking a lot of places. What does it say about a, a school like Georgia Southern and a guy like Jared Binko? Listen, went out there and got the guy they covered it. Now he's on campus, and obviously trying to get back to his winning ways. Yeah, I think it says a lot about Georgia Southern, and really a lot about Jared Binko. I think Binko's, you know, he's had a, a very successful tenure as athletic director. You know, bringing in Clay Helton, a guy that's been to a Rose Bowl has been a very successful head coach. He brought in Brian Berg from the basketball program for the basketball program from Texas Tech. So, you know, he's really attacked these hires aggressively, <clears throat> been very successful, brought in a lot of big names. Some are working out better than others, but he has been very successful. And, and one thing about the program, Clay Hilton hit on it a lot during his introductory press conference was he wants Georgia Southern to be the diamond standard of college football. And I think, I think the fact that he came here speaks to how highly regarded and highly respected the Georgia Southern program is, that we can bring in a guy like, like Clay Helton who's been to Rose Bowl. So overall, I just think it speaks to how historically successful Georgia Southern is as a university. DJ Cadden, the George Ann joining us here on 3 and Out. DJ, appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. DJ Cadden joining us here on 3 and Out as Georgia Southern back at it. And again, a lot of expectation, I think, in year number one, as he said, Four to five wins, maybe you get that six win. I, I think people uh, who look at it say there could be improvement that you don't necessarily see on the scoreboard. But, again, this Sunbelt East is going to be ridiculous. Uh, yeah. Like You have a number of teams who legitimately not only believe they can win the conference, but, I mean, you talk about, hey, let's just make a bowl game first. I mean, there's four or five of these guys that legitimately think we, we could all make a bowl game. We could all be hitting that six win mark at the very least, if not competing to win the conference. And I think you'll see 
Coastal Carolina in some preseason top 25 polls, maybe Appalachian State. Uh, but as DJ referenced, look, it's it, it's kind of hard to get a feel for expectations in in year one. Uh, but but I think what he said, you know, made a lot of sense when you think about uh, this being sort of a validator for Georgia Southern. Georgia Southern, one of the great programs in college football history, despite being so young, the history, the tradition, and now Clay Helton's here, and, and he expects to win. Uh, I mean, will there be a transition, and could that take some time? Probably. I think everybody's still learning offensively sort of what the new standard is, what the goals are going to be. I mean, Ben, I don't know how much uh, – you're obviously going to make progress. Mm-hmm. I don't know how far you come along in whatever it is, the 15 practices you get at spring ball, how much of that uh, is kind of a starting point for the fall, and then how much of that you just have to go out and go through the season to kind of find out who you are offensively. But certainly high expectations, a lot of excitement, a lot of momentum, and it's a fun time around the program. It really, really is. I mean, it's something that Kevin's been talking about a lot the last couple of weeks, return on investment. I mean, you don't go get a Clay Helton because, I mean, he's a, he used to be a really, really good coach. No. I mean, you try to put you try to put big brand coaches with big brands in college football, and I think that's what's going on. And unfortunately, even though we, you know, break down the Eagles every day, no one's going to care who you play when they, when they kick off. I mean, the wins and losses are going to have to take care of themselves. And I know the one thing that coaches don't get now, especially big-name coaches, they don't get mulligan seasons. you got to show promise early. And I know whoo, I don't know what it is about Georgia Southern and Georgia Tech. I don't know who made these schedules, but please, I mean, do better next time. But I do think a team like Georgia Southern, when you, because – you have that relative unknown on the offensive side of the ball. That kind of that kind of helps them because you don't really got no tape on them. So the first three or four games of the season, defense is going to be trying to figure them out. But if they can establish the run, which I think they're going to do that, and they can get the they can get a complimentary pass the game, and they get that defense going, I think these guys they're going to have to play well early because unfortunately, as you mentioned, Kevin, I mean this freaking somebody these eight is rough top to bottom. Yeah, very very tough. We've got more to come here on three and out. We'll come back talk a little. Uh, Braves baseball, Matt Johnson of Sports Not joins us here on 3 and Out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you along here, 3 and Out. Kevin, BJ, and uh, and Ben, MLB starts a week from today. Braves will open a week from tomorrow, or excuse me, two weeks from today. Two weeks from tomorrow, the Braves will open. I was trying to rush this thing. I'm ready for baseball uh, here at the end of the day. So in two weeks, we'll have... Uh, baseball back and joining us here on the program from Sports Not. I uh, talk a little baseball with us. Matt Johnson joins us. Matt, welcome to the show. How are you? Thanks so much. I'm doing great. You know, just ready, as you said, excited for baseball season, ready for it to be here. Absolutely. And uh, you have put out a, a, a list of, of power rankings. You have the Braves at number one. I know a lot of people said, well, they lost Freddie Freeman, got Matt Olson. Maybe that was. Uh, close to equitable uh, trade off there. I know some people think Freddie Freeman uh, a little better overall, but. What did the Braves do that had you uh, put the World Series champs at number one? You know, Freddie Freeman, you can't. You talk about the clubhouse impact. That's obviously the big thing. But when you look at the overall impact, I think with Matt Olson, they're getting a guy who is going to be better defensively. I think production-wise at the plate, they're going to get equal, if not better, production power. You look at what he did at the Coliseum versus what he's going to do for Atlanta. I think we'll be better. So overall, I just feel like they filled that void perfectly while it cost them some prospects. They dealt from positions of strength. And then plus the addition of Kenley Jansen, I just I feel very confident about their bullpen, especially about the lineup, how they brought back to the core, and I think even potentially production-wise upgraded at first base. Matt, I know uh, we have a tendency to maybe look in the field and, and look at the starting pitching and the lineups when you talk about a baseball team, but you mentioned the bullpen. 
Kenley Jansen to go along with, you know, obviously Tyler Matzik and Will Smith and Luke Jackson, and you brought in Colin McHugh. I mean, is this the best bullpen in baseball? I absolutely think it is. And you mentioned Colin McHugh. He's probably one of my favorite levers in baseball. Injuries have been a bit of an issue for him in the past, but look at the numbers he's had the past three years, over 138 innings, 27.2% strikeout rate, 3.25 ERA. He's been one of the most dominant pitchers when he's on the mound. And you have this guy who, if you have starters injured, he can be an opener. If you need someone to cover multiple innings late in the game, he can do that. He's such a versatile weapon out of the bullpen. And you mentioned just the depth they have. Kirby Yates could come back in the second half post-Tommy John surgery. Will Smith is having an eighth-inning guy is an outstanding spot to be in. And Kenley Jansen, I mean, the second-half numbers, he had a 35.8% strikeout rate. He's one of the guys you can just know in the ninth inning he can shut the door down, and he's done it in the World Series. He's done it throughout October. I'm just in love with this Braves bullpen. I mean, man, when you think about the way in which the Braves spin, according to everybody around them, you get a healthy uh, Ronald Acuna Jr. down the line. Maybe if Mike Soroka, whenever he comes back, if he shows some glimpses of vintage Mike you know, uh, Soroka, how much more dangerous does that make this Italian Braves team? That makes this seem so dangerous because it's, when you thought about going to the playoffs last year, it was, well, you know, no, Cooney's not available. This would probably be a, be a nice experience for the team. You know, obviously, Albies would get postseason experience. Austin Riley with the breakout second half would get postseason experience. And then they go and win the whole dang thing. And now they're getting Acuna back. And he can win MVP when he's healthy. You know, maybe he'll get off to a slow start, you know, in those first few weeks back from the tornado sale when he returns late April, early May. But once he's clicking, he's going to put up MVP caliber production. And you add that with Ozuna coming back to the lineup. You add that with what Olsen's going to do. Just the first one through six, really, one through seven in the order is going to be outstanding. And Darno at catcher is, he's not going to give you elite production, but I think he's one of the most underrated catchers offensively. And, and Matt, you look at this Braves team, and so many special things happened uh, last year. You made moves at the deadline, all three of the, the big moves came in and, and provided championship-winning moments uh, in, in their efforts with the Braves. Is there a guy, though, that's still on this team that you feel like had such a great season last year that that may end up being an outlier and there might be regression, or is there still mostly upside throughout most of this lineup? You know, I think in terms of regression, we're going to see a little bit from Austin Riley. He's obviously been a big swing miss, but then also power guy. The breakout with power finally came. But there are some numbers that suggest, you know what, there's going to be a little bit of a drop in the batting average. Obviously, it's 303 last year, but his batting average on balls in play was 368. And with the K rate, 25%, you know, that typically historically, we're probably going to see that more. Guy finishes around a 260 average. But even if he drops down to that, you're still getting Acuna back in the lineup. You're still going to probably get 30-plus home runs from Riley. Ozuna is up. He's not going to be that 1,000 OPS guy we saw in 2020, but he can still be a 20 home run guy, 340 on base percentage, 800 OPS, and that's just that speaks to the depth of the lineup. And even if you do get some aggression, this is going to be a deeper lineup than before. Starting rotation, of course, you have Max Fried, you have Charlie Morton, you have Ian Anderson, uh, probably Waskari Noah, and then maybe a relative question at the five spot. Uh, What are your thoughts on this starting rotation overall? Yeah, you know, you mentioned Charlie Morton. He's probably one of my favorite pitchers in baseball. He just he kind of keeps defying father time. He had to overcome so many injuries previously in his career to get here. 
But since 2017, he has a 3.34 ERA. He's a strong number two starter. You mentioned Max Freed. If healthy, that repertoire he throws, the command leap he demonstrated last year, you're talking about a low, low mid three ERA. That can be your ace. Is he going to be the number one ace that stacks up with a Walker Bueller? Maybe not, but you're still talking about two strong frontline starters. Ian Anderson, he didn't do maybe as much as the expectations coming up as a prospect, but if he's your number three starter, you're doing just fine as a postseason contender. The one thing I would like them to see, obviously, because Soroka's coming back from an injury, you know, we don't know how he's going to be when he comes back from that. I would love if they could add another star to this rotation. I mean, Sean Maniah is probably one of my favorite trade targets, in part because his contract is expiring, so that reduces the acquisition cost. And even if Oakland's not willing to deal him right now, I mean, Oakland, Atlanta has the pitching depth to make it through the first few months. And then once Manaya becomes available, if you're getting him as that number four starter, I think you're in business. And, again, there will become other options available on the market, too. And that's without even touching the pitching depth that's in AAA. Man, I know when it comes to baseball, I know it's all about war. I know it's all about the ERA and our own base percentage and, you know, bad and average. But how do, how, how, do you, how do you quantify, like, the culture? When you look at the culture with the Braves right now, seemingly since Alex Anthopoulos has been there, even though Freddie Freeman has moved on, I mean, they got one of the best winning coaches are really, like, you know, uh, you know, atmospheres you can have, you know, when you think about a baseball team. Absolutely. You know, I think management is one thing that goes underrated. We miss out so much on I mean, Growing up as a baseball fan in San Francisco, I saw the San Francisco Giants for so many years with Bruce Bochy, all the success he had because the Giants because of him. And you're looking what's going on in Atlanta now. It's just it becomes that X factor. And when you have an aggressive general manager who trusts the manager to manage the team, and the general manager will get the talent necessary, that's a rare combination that Atlanta has. And I think that's what makes a real difference in October. And keep in mind. You can have all the talent in the world, like the New York Yankees, but if the right decisions aren't made on the field by the manager, it's year after year we see teams like that knocked out in October. Matt Johnson, Sports Not, joining us here on uh, Three and Out. And, and Matt, obviously the lockout ended, and it was a it was a flurry. Uh, who do you think has done the most in that short amount of time since the baseball actually came out to uh, came back? I should say to improve themselves. You know. I I give a lot of credit to the New York Mets, the moves they made. They added Max Scherzer. They strengthened that outfield before the lockout. I think the Toronto Blue Jays adding Matt Chapman probably makes them the best team in the American League. I like the Boston Red Sox signing a Trevor Story. And I will give a lot of credit to the Philadelphia Phillies. You know, they just Castellanos, they added Schwarber. But so I'll give them huge credit for those moves. But the one thing that holds them back for me that keeps them below, further below in a division is the defense, which is, you know, analytical say, you know, defense doesn't really matter that much. But come big moments, come ninth, eighth inning, defense matters, those little runs matter, and that's why I don't think with Philadelphia is probably one of the worst defenses in baseball that's going to prove costly. You have power rankings up there on sports night, the Braves number one. Uh, you mentioned the Mets and Phillies. How close or, or how far away is that margin? Uh, what about the Nats? And I guess could the, could the Marlins – maybe be a little better than people think. How do you see the NL East top to bottom? I think it's going to be close between the Mets and the Braves. I think especially if DeGrom stays healthy, especially if those pitchers stay healthy. Obviously, they got Chris Bassett, who was just fantastic for Oakland last year. I think that's going to be the best competition. In terms of Philadelphia, I would say 
three games behind, three to five games behind maybe. And, again, it just comes down to questions I have. What separates them is that defense and the bullpen are on shaky ground. So that puts them a tier below Atlanta. Washington, I love the signing of Nelson Cruz just because you look at what he did for Wander Franco when he came up. Just having that mentor, that guy you can rely on, I think he can do something similar for Juan Soto. But that pitching between the injuries, between the lack of consistency, I think that really holds them back. As for the Miami Marlins, you know, they've added some pieces. I love their starting rotation, but there is just not enough production there from the lineup consistently where they can challenge even for a wild card, I think. Man, I know uh, I know. Kevin kind of mentioned it earlier. A guy like Mac Olsen, obviously he's going to have to step in for a guy like Freddie Freeman. Can you replace that type of type of production from a guy like Freddie Freeman who's been about as consistent as a – not just a first baseman, but as a baseball player can be? I think production-wise he can. I, you know, just in terms of the power, you know, you, you have the advanced stuff of the – they look at how far will these fly balls go in the Oak Coliseum versus Atlanta's ballpark. And it was a huge difference. With the move that Matt Olson is going to be making, it gives him the opportunity to be a at-peak 45 home run guy. Maybe there's a little bit of aggression there because the one concern I have with them, the K rate, which was 16.8% last year, but before that, it's typically always been above 20%. So you're going to see more strikeouts with them. Maybe the batting average is in as high. But I think in terms of production at the plate, it'll be pretty close to Freeman. They'll probably both be back-end MVP candidates this year towards the lower end of the ballot. And defensively, I think it'll be a slight upgrade for Atlanta. So I think just in terms of, the, you know, you mentioned war. I think wins above replacement, they'll be pretty equal this year when it's all said and done. Matt Johnson, Sports Not, our guest here on 3 and Out. Matt, we appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for having me. And again, you check out his uh, MLB power rankings. He's got the Braves there at number one. And uh, talking about Matt Olson there, uh, at the end, you and I, BJ, were talking before the show about you know, how do you replace Freddie Freeman? He's not going to hit, you know, three hundred five or three hundred consistently, but he's going to drive in a lot of runs and he's going to hit homers. And I, I think he said upwards of what I even said. I said I think he's going to hit forty homers uh, here for the Braves in uh, in twenty twenty two, if not maybe a few more. But uh, I mean, if he does that, you'll take a little bit less on the batting average for a few more runs driven in. Yeah, and listen, I think I, I think this is going to be a process. I mean, you don't just hit the reset button when you lose Freddie Freeman uh, and and have the exact same thing, even with a guy as talented as Matt Olson. But I think part of this, and we can get into it later, is going to be not only how many hits do you have, but when do they come? Because I think one of the uh, aspects of Freddie Freeman's game that has made him so effective and has helped Atlanta reach, reach the heights the Braves have reached is the timely hitting, the clutch hitting. Uh, when you need a hit to to kind of get things going, when you have to come through with an RBI, when you have to have a home run. So sometimes it's not only did you hit 280 with 35 home runs and 100 RBI, it's when did that production come? Uh, Who did it come against? Was it in moments where maybe the point total you see on the batting average maybe doesn't truly impact or or truly reflect the impact of what that hit meant? But look, I mean, National League East, it's going to be serious. It's going to be serious. And I, I think the Nats lineup, even if their pitching's not there, worries you. I think Philadelphia has spent a lot of money. Same thing. I think they're probably more lineup-oriented than pitching-oriented. But the Mets, and Ben, I don't know if they can stay healthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if they can reach their full potential. But I think if you're Atlanta, you have earned the right to be considered the favorite. You won it all. Mm-hmm. And you brought most most everybody back. And then, you know, the guys you lost, you brought in comparable replacements. 
But I think you have to be looking at the Mets and uh, at least respect them for what they've done. I think I think the Bra- I think the reason why the Braves are who they are because they respect everybody in that division. I don't think they look past anybody. I mean, the Marlins usually play the Braves the toughest, man, and they they supposed to be the team you're supposed to uh, go out there and pad your stats against. But I do I do think, Kevin, something you said about you know Matt Olson when he first got the job. Listen, Matt Olson was highly sought after, not just the Braves. The Yankees wanted Matt Olson. And I will say this. Certain guys aren't replaceable. Matt Olsen, look, you're not here to replace Freddie Freeman. No, you're here to be you. And, Kevin, you talked about 39 home runs, where he coming from. You talk about the NLEs. I mean, he's going to he's gonna do his part. And I look at how every – I look at what the Braves did for Solaire, who had to move on, Jock Peterson, Rosario. These guys played extremely well at the trade deadline because, like I said, you cannot quantify chemistry on a team. But I'm sorry. If you can't play better on a team to where you are loaded – when you talk about these bats and you talk about a pitching staff, hey man, this might not be the team for you. I think Matt Olson is going to be fine, and I guarantee you one thing that's going to be said in that in that club, you know, in that with that ball club. I don't nobody want to hear about Freddie Freeman. We get it. Number five was that dude. We got a guy named Matt Olson. We're gonna see what we can do with him. Yeah, we're, we're it's all about number twenty eight now for uh, for the Braves. And again, you can't qualify playing at home in a, in, a, in a town he's from, uh, being kind of on the hometown team, yes. and, and how much. Like excitement that might bring to him and, and the way he plays the game. Say, hey, look, I, I'm where I want to be. Let me prove. And maybe you press a little bit early and say, I'm trying to prove that I'm worth eight years, that I'm worth eight people don't overreact yeah. and go crazy to the first. I mean, yeah. and who, who am I to say yeah. that? Because I always do. <laughs> but I mean, you were ready to call the season after no and three but, started. But, but I mean, think about the pressure, though. I mean, replace Freddie Freeman. You're at home. You're for a team that expects to win a championship. It uh, wouldn't surprise me if there's a little bit of a slow start. Uh, potentially. Hey, we've got more to come here. It's three and out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you back. Three and out here. Hour two. A lot to get to here on the show. Jason Longshore, soccer down here and uh, color analyst for the Atlanta United Radio Network going to uh, to join us here on the show. Also, Shane Hallam, DraftCountdown.com will join us coming up in the final hour. We'll take a look at some of the uh, latest mocks and what's going on with the Jags at number one. Certainly, you trade Matt Ryan. What in the world are the Falcons looking at uh, there with their first round pick when they need a little bit of everything? And that leads us into take three which we do every day at this time here on 3 and Out. All right, fellas, take one. If the Braves aren't the Major League Baseball preseason favorite, then who is, in your opinion? I think I think the lineup, the Dodgers, are going to be able to run out there. I mean, Freddie Freeman now in the three spot. You think about Mookie Betts. I mean, what, probably four or five of the top 15 or 20 uh, hitters in baseball are, are with the Dodgers. And, I mean, Max Muncy's your backup first baseman. I mean, slash DH. I think L.A. isn't going anywhere. I re-signed Kershaw, of course, to a one-year deal. Uh, I know uh, the Blue Jays, uh, Matt Johnson was talking about them. I think keep an eye on the Boston Red Sox. Trevor Story to go along with what they already had. Uh, The Mets potentially, in terms of their ceiling, can be there. But if I'm doing a power ranking and you're telling me, and see what you guys think, but you're telling me that I can't have Atlanta number one, I would probably go with the L.A. Dodgers. Of course, it's the L.A. Dodgers, BJ, everything you mentioned. But I just think that when you talk about the model of consistency, it is the Dodgers, right? I mean, no matter what the Braves do during the regular season, no, no matter how well they play, they know the Dodgers are lurking somewhere, you know. So I do think that even though the Braves finally did get over the hump last year, I mean, think about this. You you re-signed Clayton Kershaw and you add Freddie Freeman. That that sounds like cheating, even though it's not. So yes, I'm even though, I mean, Kevin, you talked to me about, I mean, about the Blue Jays and how dangerous they are. Talk about the White Sox. You know, I mean, the Mets going to have the pitching, but for me, it's always going to be the Dodgers. I mean, I think it really could be the Blue Jays. If you're talking about best in the major leagues, uh, the, the Yankees, 
spent some money. The Red Sox spent some money, but the Blue Jays absolutely loaded. And uh, you talk about, obviously, the Glad Juniors, Kevin Biggio, Bo Bichette. They go out and get a Matt Chapman. They get George Springer from the Astros. Uh, you get Kevin Gosman, Hinjin Ryu, Alex Manoa from... Uh, I think I'm trying, I'm trying to think of anyway Alec Manoa, who was very good last year, and Yusei Kikuchi, who they get from the Seattle uh, Seahawks or Seahawks, Seattle Mariners. Uh, they are loaded in starting pitching. They are loaded uh, on that lineup, and they are going to be a very tough out. I mean that the NL East is going to be a slugfest, but I think the American League East could also be a slugfest because everybody not named the Baltimore. I mean, you look at the money that everybody but the Baltimore Orioles spent, and the Orioles could lose 120 games because everybody else is absolutely loaded. Uh, to the gills in that AL East with talent. All right, moving along, take two. Which number one seed is more likely to lose tonight, Gonzaga, who plays Arkansas, or Arizona, who plays Houston? And I don't know that either team has been at their best yet in the NCAA tournament, but I, but I think it's Arizona. You know, they I know we mentioned Gonzaga had some tight games. I mean, Arizona was in a back-and-forth game where they needed a late rally, and there were some controversial calls to, to get past TCU in that in that second round matchup that went into overtime, uh, I I think Arizona feels like they probably have to play better. And remember, Houston was in the Final Four a year ago. Kelvin Sampson's done a nice job. They are a team that shoots the ball really well. Uh, dynamic guard play. I think they've only lost four times all season. So I think Arizona against Houston. That's the one I would keep an eye on. Houston knows what it takes to win this time of year. Again, these guys made a run to the Final Four last season. Gonzaga, Arkansas. It comes down to, you know, potentially can you can you limit what Drew Timmy does? Uh, I know a lot of talk about Chet Holmgren, who could be the number one overall pick in the NBA draft, but it seems like when Gonzaga's at its best, Timmy is 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 really facilitating. You know, these he'll score four or five buckets in a in a three or four minute window, and he's kind of the run guy for Gonzaga, right? Where if they're going to score, you know, go on a 12-2 run or a 14-4 run, it's 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 Timmy that's the catalyst. So. I, I think Gonzaga bounces back. I think they play well tonight. Uh, they probably feel like, much like Arizona, they have not been at their best. But I trust Gonzaga a little more here, and I feel like the bigger challenge on paper is going to be Houston with their style of play and their familiarity of winning this time of year. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I like the Arizona-Houston matchup. But, BJ, I think it is Gonzaga. I think when you think about a team like Arkansas, we go back to the, quote, big bad SEC this year. I mean, we everybody thought it was going to be Bruce Pearl and Auburn. Don't know where they get that from. Then you talk about, uh, you know, the the biggest, uh, you know, underachievers there is, the Kentucky Wildcats. And you look at this scrappy, uh, you know, uh, Arkansas bunch. They're not supposed to be here. And I think the thing about the Zags is it's one thing to win when, you know, uh, it's one thing to win when nobody expects you to do it. Everybody's expecting the Zags to win. That's a lot more pressure on them. And them post-game, them post-game press conferences can get really, really interesting with them Zags. But I think Arkansas is a team that plays really, really scrappy. They can play up to the competition. I think they got a really, really good shot to knock off the Zags. Not because they're a better team, but I think when the pressure is on the Zags and Arkansas, I mean, Arkansas can play free, that definitely favors, favors them Razorbacks. I think it could. I, I don't want either one of these teams to lose, by the way, because they're in my 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 bracket. You're not winning. You're not winning. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think if one's more likely to, to lose, I think it'd be Arizona. Again, I like the way Gonzaga plays. BJ, you and I were, were talking. It's kind of the antithesis of what we've seen in college basketball here recently. It kind of a harkens back to late '90s, early 2000s uh, ACC basketball, where they want to get out and they want to go. They want to score 90, 95 points a game and push the tempo and make you get back in transition and wear you out in in that way. Uh, I think that could be a little too much for Arkansas. 
I think because because I don't know if too many teams that play that way uh, in the SEC. I'm going to say if anybody's going to get bumped off, it's going to be uh, Arizona by Houston, who played two really really good games uh, in their first two uh, two ball games. And Arizona, watch out! You're going to give. Uh, Old Kevin, some stress tonight, trying to ruin my bracket. Stress for what? Do you finish in the top twenty of the bracket challenge? Uh, I'm in the top fifteen right now. Oh, oh, and where, okay. where are you, sir? I'm behind you. Okay, not, thank you no, very much. Hold on, thank you. Not, but I'm not coming on here saying I need Arizona to win so I can move up. You and I aren't winning. Sure, we are. I well, you aren't winning. I can still win. I hold out hope. You already have a team out of your final four. So, I still got three of my four. I got and, four, and I have two of my final two. I bet I finish ahead of you. Oh, so so this, so 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 bump so bump the wins and I just want I, it's all about the challenge. Yeah, I don't really talk about the challenge anymore because I think uh, Herm Edwards said it best. Come you on. play to win the game. So I don't really care about any of these teams. I like watching Gonzaga play, but if I got to play to win the bracket, then I, I need I need both of them you to win. Play to win the bracket. You play to win exactly. You play <laughs> to win the bracket. The end. No, 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 hold on. Did Kevin hit you with the, and where are you, sir? I mean, we get real. Yeah, <laughs> that's right now. The further you go, <laughs> and where are you? Each round, you, you, advance, you advance to the, yeah. the points are worth more. I will finish ahead of I Kevin. will say this. I mean, I always say this about the bracket. Do you want to be that one person in life to ever have a perfect bracket? Cause well, yeah, because that's like never happened. Well, if I do it, I'm never playing again. Exactly. And do you, know, and do you, find, do you run down Warren Buffett and say, is, that, is <laughs> yeah. that bet still is that, good? Is that deal still valid? I can only give you $100 million. What if that's here, all you got? Because here I am. I mean, billion dollars. We've got uh, take three here. The Seahawks are reportedly interested in Baker Mayfield for the right price. And so are the Panthers. What draft picks would you be willing to give up to trade for Baker Mayfield? It's so hard to get a feel for a market when you're trading draft picks for a player because you see such wide-ranging results, right, where – uh, you know, a fourth or fifth round pick gets you like a Pro Bowl caliber player or uh, what the Colts got, Matt Ryan, who I know is older, but for, for one third round pick. And it's interesting kind of evaluating Baker Mayfield because he has helped make Cleveland better, okay? Cleveland has been in the playoffs, but also I think everybody, probably himself included, would tell you last season was a disappointment and the Browns wanted to move in a different direction. Uh, I, I, I think those two teams that we mentioned would be better with Baker Mayfield. I, Seattle, uh, you know, Drew Locke, I, I guess, um, you know, Sam Darnold, who knows? I, I, don't, I don't know about a second. That, that makes me a little bit nervous, I guess, potentially. Uh, I know you're talking about a guy that was number one overall, but, uh, Kevin, you mentioned this. I mean, when you draft kind of in the top, I don't know, 75 or 80, those guys are expected to come in and not only start, but start immediately and sort of be seven, eight-year, in a, in a perfect world, kind of franchise pieces. Do you think Baker Mayfield has earned that benefit of the doubt at this point? I think he, I think he improves your, 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 your situation if you're a couple of teams out there. But you also had, you know, Cleveland didn't necessarily have, you know, some great things to say and obviously wanted to move in a different direction. I, I think Baker Mayfield can still offer a lot now, it depends on where my second-round pick is, mm-hmm. right? If I'm like the Jacksonville Jaguars, I know they're not trading for a quarterback, but if you have the you know a top three second-round pick, that's a little different than you know you're down in the 60s or something like that. So I guess maybe, but I would I would try to work from the middle rounds and move from there. No, I th- uh, Baker Mayfield, I think it's definitely worth a second-round pick. I think when you think about uh, what happened with him, his situation in Cleveland, they moved on from him because of his temperament. I don't want to deal with a guy who, uh, you know, is talking trash. Like, you know, he's a first-team All-Pro coming off an MVP caliber type season. You got Deshaun Watson, you got Jacoby Brissett. He's not going to be there. I think it's second rounder because this is what this is what I'm saying. 
Grunt got everybody thinking that everybody's gonna be that good in the second. Clinton Portis got. But again, but again, if you're if you're Seattle or Carolina, you're gonna have a top ten pick in the second round. So that would be in the you'd be in the thirty. You'd be yeah, talking you, about a, you 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 would be in the thirty. But at the end of the day, man, you need a quarterback. Like at the end of the day, if, if he's gonna be a patchwork guy, it's not gonna get much because a lot of guys are gonna be. But this is what I'm asking, and there's no way to know. But right now, would you rather have Baker Mayfield or let's say Matt Corral, who the, might be the, the, Baker Mayfield? Because Baker Mayfield, you already know what he's going to give you. Matt Corral. No, so so now, now, this is the thing. Now, let, let's always remember this, okay? First pick in the draft, last pick in the draft, that is a risk. We don't know what this person is going to be. Now, I get it. Oh, my God. They just, Aiden Hutchins, did that do? What about the Georgia Tech? Well, no, 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 no. no. no who, that, that's going to be the caliber of player he's going to go up against playing and play out. We talk about a guy like Baker Mayfield. He can throw the football, right? Does he make the Panthers better? Yes. Why? Because they got Sam Darnold, P.J. Walker, and freaking Cam. Does he make Seattle better? Yes, because they got a guy named Drew. They don't want him. They'd rather have Baker. So does he make your team better right now? Yes. That's at least a second-round pick because he's in his early 20s. He's still on his rookie deal. You, you at least give him a second-round pick. Now, they start talking about two ones. No, no, no. We, we, I'm not giving you a no first-round pick for Baker Mayfield. Second-round, yes, because what you're saying is, is he better than that second-round pick? I would say yes. Because no matter who comes in, are they going to be an impact player? Who knows? Baker Mayfield is going to be your starter from opening day. Give him a second-round pick. Not two seconds or two-thirds. I give you a second. Yeah, might give you a fourth. But you start to give us two seconds a third click, call us back. Nope, I'm not doing that. Second, maybe a fourth, not a second and a third. But, yes, is he worth a second-round pick? I would say definitely. Not trading for Baker Mayfield. <laughs> like, period? No. No, not no. I, I, I'm not. How, how many playoff games has Baker Mayfield won? One. One. I think he's played in two. But And he plays with the Browns, who had 647 consecutive number one picks to go around, uh, around Baker Mayfield. You had guys want to go away from Cleveland, and then Deshaun Watson shows up, which means Baker Mayfield is gone, and now people want to come back to Cleveland uh, when it's all said. And uh, I think what uh, Odell Beckham said, going back, he's going back to Cleveland. So, no, I'm not. I, again, does he make me better? I don't. I don't know. If I'm Seattle, do I just take my chances with a quarterback in a draft? And I know you could say, wait, but for all the reasons you listed, Ben, of you know, had some temperament issues, had some of this, had some of that. Like, is that what I want to bring into my ball club? No. I, I, so, so again, I'm not saying that you never get a second chance, but I'm saying if if I'm the Carolina Panthers, like Baker Mayfield won a playoff game. When they had a bunch of number one draft picks playing on that team on defense, on offense, and he's gonna and, and they won one playoff game. He's gonna come to Carolina where 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 their number one draft picks at? Where are their big time players at? I, 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 again, is he gonna come in and elevate? Is he gonna be are we giving him all the weapons? I, I again I just I, I'm not trying to hate on Baker Mayfield. I'm just saying I don't I think that is one of those where you're like, what would you give up to Baker Mayfield? I'm trading for him because he's the best of, of, of what I perceive is left. Yeah. So am I just doing that because, or should I just bite the bullet and trust my scouting department and say we're going to go draft one? I'd rather just go draft one. I mean, I, 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 no, I, I mean that's just I, me. I do, I do understand that, but this, but this is the thing too, right? This is the thing about Baker Mayfield. All right, I mean, is, is, he, is he the second-tier quarterback? Yeah, I think I think he's second-tier. I think it's okay to call him second-tier. Nobody. I think I think the thing about Baker Mayfield, he's got he's gotten that reality check. Like, when you got a guy like him, of course. overall, they say they'll say, well, Baker, yeah, yeah. Was Carolina or Seattle trying to trade for Baker Mayfield two weeks ago? Uh, no, mm-mm, mm-mm. 
But, but, but we, we can go. We can, they need a quarterback. Ah, no, uh, but can't, but can't, but you know, but you know how it goes. It, it, let's listen. It go, it go, it go, it goes back. You know, when, when we start talking about getting the guy you coveted, right? All right, got the guy you coveted. And nah, thing, but this is like choice six, though. Well, well, what the thing, what the thing about a guy like Baker Mayfield is, you like you said, you have all the leverage if you're trying to trade. You're like, all right, if we're trying to trade for him, I mean, and I guess that's kind of why I'm nervous about a, a second round pick because, and Kevin mentioned this in the show meeting, I don't know that there are. Five, six, seven teams kind of banging the door down. So, well, no. I, so I, I don't know that the asking price is going to be that high. I think you can. No, what's scared? What's scared? What's scared? The teams are usually when you trade for a player, you got to give them a new deal. That that's what's really scaring them because they were like, "Well, dude, if we if we get him, we're gonna have to give him a new deal." Do you want to give? No, because what what a new deal is going for now? Two forty, two fifty, two sixty. Thanks a lot, Deshaun Watson. But that that that's the going rate for you know. Uh, uh, if you you know, former first round, and he's the number one overall pick. Now, I don't know if he's going to get that much, but he could demand that much. So I just think that that's what's scaring him, too. But you are right, Kevin. I'm not, listen, I'm not saying that you, that Baker Mayfield is the, is the, you know, is the end all be all. But does he make you better right now? Yes, he does. When you talk about Carolina, Houston, man, who they got, or, or, or Seattle. So I, th- I do think there's some teams that's going to be vying for his services. That's take three. We do it each and every day here at this time. We'll come back. Jason Longshore set to join us. Uh, color analyst for the Atlanta United and host of Soccer Down Here. He'll join us next. It's 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you back here, 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Kevin Thomas, BJ Bennett, Ben Troop. Glad you're making us a part of your day. And then we got uh, World Cup qualifying continuing uh, along here. And joining us from Soccer Down Here and also the color analyst for the Atlanta United on the radio, Jason Longshore joins us. Jason, welcome. How are you? What's up, guys? How y'all doing? And we're doing good. World Cup qualifying uh, continuing on. We're getting to that uh, that final stretch run here. Where does Team USA uh, kind of stand here coming into that home stretch? I think they're in a decent spot. There's three games left. They're in Mexico tonight. They're at home in Orlando against Panama on Sunday night. And then they go to Costa Rica next Wednesday for the final game. You don't want it to come down to that final game. Costa Rica is a very tough place to get a result, and they're a team that's been looking for some revenge against the U.S. for years since that snow classico out in Colorado where they feel like that game shouldn't have been played in awful conditions. But it's tough tonight. The U.S. has never won at the Estadio Azteca in a World Cup qualifier. They have three draws but no wins. A draw would be fine if they get a point tonight and beat Panama on Sunday, that's the game that has the bigger effect on the table because Panama's chasing the U.S. Get a win over them, they can't catch you. Then it's really down to Costa Rica being perfect in their last three games. I know uh, you've had some injuries with the U.S. men's national team. What's the, what's the roster look like? Are they, are they limited somewhat tonight? Yeah, I think they're limited in general, and I think Greg Berhalter has to be careful because of the three-game window. Seeing these windows, which isn't typical for World Cup qualifying, everything got compressed because of things being pushed back due to COVID. Three games in a week is tough, and playing 270 minutes for those guys is very tough. So I think Greg Berhalter has to manage the minutes of the guys he has, and he has to prioritize to a degree. It's a tough balancing act because you want to field your first choice every single time, but you've got some guys on yellow card accumulation suspension possibilities as well and Tyler Adams is a big factor in that I would probably sit him tonight against Mexico knowing how vital he'll be 
on Sunday. Gio Reyna is just back into the team. Can he play 90 minutes three games in a row? Probably not. There's a few other guys that are dinged up, and you're missing Weston McKinney. You're missing Brendan Aronson here. That it's going to be a little difficult for Greg Berhalter to find the right group and find the right group that has chemistry. Jason, I mean, how confident are you that, you, as you mentioned, USA go out there and get a, get a win against a Mexico team that they haven't done and take care of base against Panama? And if, how nervous that you make, does it make you if they lose tonight, they lose against Panama, and they got to find, you know, they got to get back to their winning ways against uh, Costa Rica? I'm not as worried about the result tonight, honestly, because if you don't win tonight and win Sunday, you're still in great position because it's Panama that you have to worry about a little bit. They have a somewhat easier game tonight. They should win. If you beat Panama, they can't catch you. They can't overlap you. You're, you're at least into the playoff portion of, of World Cup qualifying. But if you get a point tonight, and that's all you really need, you're going to play for the win. Don't get me wrong. You're going to play for the win. You're going to try to take care of it tonight. You could clinch tonight if other results go your way, but it's unlikely. You'd love to get that. I'll take the point. It's the Panama game that is the must-win for me because if you can eliminate some of the fear going into Costa Rica in the last day, I'll take that because this isn't an easy qualification process with eight teams playing this many games, 14, and you've had all these twists and turns, and it's difficult at times. Just get a point tonight, get a result. You have to beat Panama on Sunday. That's the critical one. And again, how badly does the team need to make the World Cup field to uh, to con- kind of continue uh, the the growth they're trying to achieve here? It's critical. It's absolutely critical. There were some people who were trying to to find a narrative last time around when the U.S. didn't qualify to say that it's the opportunity to reset the program and all these different things. No, if you're involved in American soccer, this team should be qualifying every time, and you need them to qualify every time. It's difficult. Don't get me wrong, it's not a cakewalk anymore because the other nations in CONCACAF have improved so much over the years, and a lot of that's down to the growth of Major League Soccer. But the U.S. has more talent than most of these teams. They've been able to get big results in the Gold Cup and the Nations League. They should take care of business in these next two. Jason, the MLS season started a couple of weeks ago. How has Atlanta United looked? I like where the team's headed. They've had some injuries. Um, They haven't been able to field their front four, which I think is as talented as any group you're going to find in this league. Luis Araujo was hurt in the first half of the first game. We haven't seen him back yet. Thiago Almada just joined the group after his visa was approved coming out of Argentina. That's been taking a while for everybody in the league right now. The visa process is delayed everywhere. And Marcelino Moreno was banged up in preseason. He's starting to get healthy and was able to start on the weekend. You get that front four together, I really like what this team can do scoring goals. They've had a few individual mistakes defensively. That's something that I think will get cleaned up over time. But I like the work that Gonzalo Pineda, the manager, has done with this group, and I like where they're headed. Uh, Jason, finally, speaking of Atlanta United, they're they're in Brunswick and uh, Coastal Georgia with some representatives this afternoon tonight, uh, uh, helping Coastal Outreach Soccer unveil a new uh, futsal court. Talk about that. Yeah, it's an amazing initiative that the Atlanta United Foundation and Arthur Blank and his family foundation and many others have come together to create called GA100. The goal is to build 100 mini soccer pitches, futsal pitches, all over the state of Georgia, not just in the metro Atlanta area, but all over the state. 
and Brunswick is going to be the first one to open up. It got delayed because of some COVID issues, but Coastal Outreach Soccer, which is an amazing nonprofit in y'all's neck of the woods, they get the honor of opening the first of these GA100 pitches. I can't wait to get down there and see all the work that Sean Williams and, and Coastal Outreach is doing in the game, giving kids an opportunity to play, making it easy for kids in that neighborhood to be able to grab a ball, walk across the street, and go play soccer on a great pitch and, and develop those skills. Jason Longshore, soccer down here in Atlanta United, uh, color analyst. Jason, we appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Thanks, y'all. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Jason Longshore, Jordan is here on 3 and Out. And uh, BJ, as you, we, we talked about there at the beginning, Team USA in action tonight. Yeah, yeah, big big game against Mexico. And then he said uh, carrying through here in this final qualifying window. But uh, uh, awesome, awesome stuff there with Coastal Outreach Soccer, which does an amazing job, as Jason said, and uh, Atlanta United and uh, their foundation. So uh, really cool. Atlanta United, uh, Darius Slay, some others, uh, that coming up in just a little bit. And we've got more to come here on 3 and Out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you back here, 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Kevin, BJ, and Ben, glad you're uh, with us. Shane Howell going to join us coming up in the final hour from DraftCountdown.com. Uh, Braves got rained out today. Uh, we're expected to play the Blue Jays. That would have been an interesting uh, matchup. Blue Jays making a little trade move uh, earlier today, but uh, the Braves obviously off two weeks from Friday. They'll be back at it with the season opener against the Cincinnati Reds. And I think all of us are excited to see what what you get out of uh, Matt Olson at first base. Going to be the Braves' first baseman for a long time. What signed the the eight year deal after the Jeez, trade on the play? Yep, yep. And you're talking about an Atlanta guy. You're talking about a uh, you know an an all star, uh, one of the best first basemen in all of in all of baseball. Replacing a legend, and I think it's really hard to sort of quantify Freddie Freeman versus Matt Olson. I know a lot of people have said, oh, well, the age difference and defensively and offensively. I mean, Freddie Freeman, like you said, Ben, you've said this a number of times, I agree. You don't replace Freddie Freeman in Atlanta. MVP, World Series, helped the organization kind of elevate the status quo after some tough times, uh, but Matt Olson is a, is a great player. Uh, I think it's an interesting sort of thought exercise. I mean, what do you guys think we're looking at from a production standpoint? I mean, Kevin, I know you've said a number of times, in theory, the home run numbers should go up, moving should. to a smaller ballpark, especially with, you know, kind of that, what what the right field uh, uh, porch there. I mean, is this, is it is it fair to say you're coming in, you're replacing Freddie Freeman, and you got to go 285, 35, and 110? I mean, is that fair? I mean, I, I think you're a little low on some of those numbers, but I think... Uh, you, you, you would go higher than that? Yeah, I think uh, for for what I see with Matt Olson, once he settles in, you're in a place where I think people are going to love you, man. Uh, again, you're not Freddie Freeman, but you are a hometown uh, guy. I think that helps in the transition. You have the talent. Gold Glove defense uh, will certainly come into play. Uh, is he going to hit for average like Freddie? No, I'm, I'm thinking somewhere like 275. Uh, probably 42 homers and 115. I mean, I, I, wow. I, I really think he can do that. Well, think about it. He's going to be hitting behind Acuna, Albies, and, and what, look at what Riley, that did and, and ahead of uh, maybe Riley, Ozuna, someone. That, so he's going to have opportunities to drive in runs. Again, with the DH, you theoretically, if Dansby Swanson's batting ninth, might have a possibility of driving in uh, other guys uh, like that that didn't exist last year because the pitcher was up and you just took the third out uh, kind of thing. So I, I think he's going to do well. I, I think, if anything, he gets off to a slow start trying to live up to the eight-year deal, but he should settle in. 
hometown team. Uh, I think the fans will make him feel feel at home. And and again, I think the first time he knocks one out uh, at Truist Park, uh, it's it's game on. And I think for him, uh, again, I, I don't think he has to be Freddie Freeman. I think if he's himself, the numbers bear out he should hit more homers. I think coming over to the National League East, you go to Philadelphia, what, uh, eight, nine times a year, they've got a, a hitter's ballpark. Uh, obviously, a lot of Braves hit very well in Marlins Park. Uh, the Nationals have a, a decent little park. I mean, City Field, not necessarily for, known for as much as just, hey, just a band box, but I, I think you're coming to a spot where you should hit more home well, runs. Don't the Braves open the season in Cincinnati? No, it's at home. It's at home, but at any rate, when the weather warms up in Atlanta, the balls start flying out of there. That is just every stadium the Braves have been in come late May, June, home run numbers start going up. I, I, I think he's going to have a fun time as a left-handed hitter hitting in Truist Park, and I, I think the average will be less than what you would expect for Freddie. So maybe at the end of the day, do you get some of those you know, two-out doubles, two-out singles that maybe you get uh, as many of those from Matt Olson? Maybe not, but you might get a few more that go over the fence. Uh, again, he hit 39 last year. You said what Freddie Freeman's career high is what 35. Yeah, I just want to. So, I mean, I, 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 it, it's fair to say he's a better power hitter than Freddie Freeman. Yes, right? and Freddie Freeman would also tell you I'm not a power hitter. He he would say, sure, look, I'm sure. a gap doubles hitter. That's mean for people who are trying to kind of anticipate what Matt Olson does. Right, and, and again, I'm not trying to say that Freddie Freeman had no power, but if you talk to Freddie Freeman about him hitting, he's like, I'm trying to hit it to the gaps, mm-hmm. and if it goes over the fence, it goes over the fence. That's why when he did home run derby, I was kind of surprised. Cause I'm like. This could go poorly because he doesn't try to hit home runs. I think he only ended up with, what, one? So, I mean, this guy, Matt Olson, was in the home run derby last year in in Colorado. So, uh, this is a guy that does have big power, and I think fans are going to see that and love it. What, the fact that, the fact that we were talking about, you know, BJ, you said 275, 110, and, uh, you know, at 35 homers, and Kevin said, I think that's pretty low. You give it, you telling me a guy's going to come in. Forget who he's replacing for a second. We, we, we get that part. Man, what do you think this guy's going to do? 285, about 115 RBIs, you know, maybe 42 homers. What? Like, anybody would take that. Anybody would take If he it, doesn't but, hit that, I'm not disappointed. He's and, still going to put up. I mean, and, and, still. And, the, and the thing about it is, is you got to put that in the context. Like, if he's giving you that, nobody's Freddie Freeman. Let's just add it. I think at what point do we stop saying we know he's not? That's like saying the XFL is not the NFL. Well, well we know that. But, BJ. You got a new player. Hey, man, what is it? What did he do? Man, 285, about 115, about 42 homers. What? I will take that. Because I go, I go to your guy, Mr. Bryce Harper. I know I know that's always the barometer in the NL East for you. I mean, you always say, man, people be going crazy for, you know, you know, a guy that, a guy that can leave the ballpark but doesn't really make his teammates, I guess, better, I guess, if you want to look at it. But if, if Bryce, Harper's, Bryce Harper's giving you consistently 285, you know, 115 RBIs, 40-some homers. I think you'll take that on any team. I think the thing is, what what Freddie Freeman can't be replaced with is how consistent he is. Like, he went in the slump last year. People all say, my, oh, my God. It didn't last long. Like, it didn't last long. But I just think that you got to, listen, you got to move past the fact that, look, one guy's from Atlanta, wanted to be in Atlanta. Other guy's from California, wanted to be in California. One guy wanted an extra year. Other guy sure, got eight sure, years. Sure, sure, yeah. But, I, but I, I just think that sometimes, too, when they rank with the top uh, – First baseman of baseball, you know, I think Matt Olson was like number three. Freddie Free was number one. Well, Freddie Free is always going to be number one. I know, but but I do want to ask you this because, again, you've competed at the highest level, obviously. I know we can say at some point you you have to stop saying he's coming in to replace Freddie Freeman, but is that not part of the challenge psychologically for Matt Olson to 
I mean, that pressure, everybody at the major league level is, 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 is a great player. I mean, the pressure is immense, and, you know, different guys handle it differently. I think, I think Matt's going to do great, like Kevin says, coming back home. But how challenging is that to not only have the big contract, but to come in, we always say it's tough to be the guy that follows the guy. Well, you're following the guy right there in Atlanta. I mean, is that is once the season starts, is that no longer a storyline, or is that something you have to deal with? No, that is a storyline. That is something you have to deal with. Because the thing about Matt Ozzie, he's not rep- he's replacing the best first baseman in baseball. That's that, that's what he's doing. He's also replacing the first baseman that had an MVP. That's coming off a of World Series. But I think the thing about sports is it's it, it's it's all it's always above the neck. And I think sometimes we we take for granted that how much it takes mentally to be a professional athlete to understand what's at stake game in and game out. You know, I mean, but I but I do think that there's something to say about a guy that wants to be there. Like, and people go, no, no, I want to be like if Matt Olson grew up a Braves fan, he said, My goal is to make it to the majors and play for the Braves. Just like Marshawn Lynch, my goal is to make it to the to the NFL and play for the Raiders. Uh, Devontae Adams, my goal is to play with my teammate, you know, uh, Derek Carr. When that stuff come true, you know how much better of a player that guy is? But think about Matt Olson. I mean, he ain't got the Dodgers lineup. I get it. But that go Ron Lacuna Jr. I mean, I heard a lot about that dude. Oh, man, that go Ozzy. That go Dansby, you know? That go Ian Anderson. I mean, that go – oh, man, that go Rosario. I, 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 th- I think that when you look at the team around him, what makes a player better when I don't have to be the dude. You know why Freddie kept getting better? Because they put a team around him. All right, man, now I can breathe a little bit. Man, I was coming to a team where I don't got to be that guy. But if I am that guy with a bunch of guys around me, how much more dangerous do I make the entire ball club? Uh, again, I think he fits nicely uh, into this lineup. And, uh, again, BJ, how much does it matter, as has been said, that you're coming from a culture of money ball where everybody knows the deal? It doesn't mean you're not good. The A's have had good competitive teams, but you know – they're probably not going to do a whole lot to make the team better. They're going to try to, uh, you know, find a cheap way to do things. And again, that's not an indictment of it. It's just how they've elected to do their business. Where now you go to a team that's had a history of winning, uh, going all the way back to the 90s, but now here in the short term, uh, they've won the division four consecutive years. They've been to the playoffs. They expect to do the same uh, this year, get to the playoffs, contend for a World Series. That's got to be a different situation of if we're close come July, there's a move to be made to help us get over the hump. If you're close come July in in Oakland, they may just say, we're just going to play it out, see what happens. Right? Yeah, I mean, well, I'm sorry, well, I, sorry, I, I think I, there's I, an excitement level. Yeah. yeah. And, and and you're coming home. I mean, I know he said he, he grew up, you know, going to games, whatnot, but you're coming home and you're also coming to an organization that clearly is one of the favorites to win the World Series. So yes. I think I think there's an energy there. Oh, yes. Uh, I, I think a chance to play with, you know, Ronald Acuna and Ozzie Alves. Oh, no, I, ch- I, ch- I, mean, I chance. No, no, no. But, but the biggest thing is, I, I think I think there's a big misconception. If if I finally make it to the majors and I'm on a and I'm on a ball club that's willing to pay me, but they're not trying to they're not trying to put guys around me to win, you know what that does to me. It makes you know, it's like it's like the thing about man, I was a good player on a bad organization. Put me on a put me on an organization that wants to win. That just happens to be my hometown team. I'm telling you. I mean, those type of things, you know, it's, Jerome Bettis. I get to I get to I get to finally play for a Super Bowl in my hometown. I get to, that kind of stuff matters, but I think what happens is Matt Olson to tell you, I love Freddie Freeman, man. What? And I get to replace him. I know what it's like. I get to Tennessee. I got to replace Frank Wycheck, but I had to say, no, no, no. I'm not the next Frank Wycheck. I'm the first being true. But I don't want. I don't even want you guys doing that because, unfortunately for me, there's nothing I can but, do about but, but that. But how often did you get asked about that? Because you know Matt Olson's going to get asked. I mean, every 
every interview is going to start out with, hey, Matt, Freddie Freeman, obviously. I mean, that's just that's just the way it is. I, 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 I get that part, but, but the whole thing about it is, man, it's almost like, you know, creating your own legacy, everybody's going to have to do it. And I, and I think Matt Ozzie can do it, but like like Kevin said, listen, as soon as, listen, if he's leaving the ballpark, it don't matter who he replacing. 40-some home runs, I will take that on any ball club. I mean, we'll see. I think Matt Ozzie is going to be really, really good, man. Being the third rated, rated uh, you know, first base in baseball, hey, man, happy the Braves got him. Yeah, I th- again, and it doesn't mean anything until you get to the games that matter. But again, I, if we, we come around to what, April 7th, April 8th, and Matt Olson plants one in the chop house against the Reds. Welcome to Atlanta, right? I mean, I, I think I think what a People way to are settle. Excited, rightfully so. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't know it's the same as Jason Hayward doing what he did because, uh, you know, obviously Jason Hayward was the hot new pro- This is a guy that's expected to play for a long time. He's got an eight year deal. I think it just helps you settle in. If uh, he can come in and have some success early with the ball club, we got so much more to get to here on Three and Out. Shane Hallam, DraftCountdown.com, going to join us coming up at the top of next hour. We'll look at the draft. Are the Jags actually going to take Aiden Hutchinson? What are the Falcons going to do at eight where they could literally take anybody and it upgrade the roster at this point? He'll join us top of next hour. It's Three and Out, Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Shit. Hey, this is Joshua Kogi. You're listening to Three and Out with BJ, Ben, and Kevin. Welcome back, Three and Out here on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Kevin Thomas, BJ Bennett here with you, and a uh, ceremony going on downtown later this afternoon, uh, where Coastal Outreach Soccer is unveiling a new. A facility downtown, a new park uh, there in the uh, the city of Brunswick. And joining us here, the uh, director of the Coastal Outreach Soccer, Sean Williams, joins us here on Three and Out. Sean, welcome. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. So, so tell us a little bit. You've partnered with uh, Atlanta United, uh, and uh, through a grant from the Atlanta United Foundation, uh, you have been able to uh, to bring forth this this new facility. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so what we've done is built what's called a futsal course, so, which is futsal is indoor soccer. So we have a frame system that we've been able to um, install uh, that was a double tennis court at Perry Park. Um, so we've been able to convert that space now into a fabulous facility that would definitely be immersing kids in that area as well as our community um, into the game of soccer. But also, you know, BJ, it really tells the story of Coastal soccer. Uh, we have windscreens up. Uh, we have kicking walls up. Uh, we have tables that will be set up for academic support. So really, we are looking at this facility being able to give us an opportunity to really impact the community using a holistic approach that COS uses. Yeah, awesome. And uh, Sean, I know uh, uh, a, a ceremony going to be some opportunities uh, to uh, work with some folks from Atlanta United and Coastal Outreach Soccer uh, this afternoon. Tell, tell folks what's going on. 
Yeah, so we have uh, four players that will be coming in from Atlanta United, as well as um, several members of Atlanta United executive staff um, will also be flying in today. And they're going to put the kids through a series of drills. Uh, so we'll have a, a, a ribbon-cutting ceremony that will take place with a lot of our city officials, as well as our chamber will be involved in that. And then after that, we'll turn everything over to Atlanta United's camp staff and to the players that will be out there. And our kids will be able to get a chance to be able to work with, you know, professional soccer players. Uh, Darren Slate will also be on hand, and so we will uh, definitely get him involved in some of the activities as well. And kids will be able to come out and get autographs today. Uh, we have uh, T-shirts that, you know, are special for the event that two of our players help a graphic designer to put together. So everyone coming out, uh, kids as well as adults, will receive that. And then we also have 130 pairs of futsal shoes uh, that we'll be giving out today as well. And as kids are leaving today, they'll all get a, a, a Atlanta United soccer ball, and we got some headphones as well for them. Wow, a lot going on there as well. And, and Sean, tell us a little bit about Coastal Outreach Soccer and kind of uh, you guys' mission, how you obviously will be using this uh, this new facility. Yes. So this is our – August will be our 18th year of being uh, working with youth in the city of Brunswick as well as those that are in, in live in our county. We are truly about development, you know, development of our players on the field as well as development off the field. You know, we definitely understand – that soccer and, and participating in sports is a, is a short period of time in everyone's life. So we are definitely about preparation for that day when you're not kicking that soccer ball anymore and what your life looks like that. So driving our kids towards, you know, careers that they're able to go into military or entering the workforce. Sean, what time is uh, everything going on today? And, uh, and uh, folks can come out, bring their friends, bring their family, and get involved, right? Yeah, so we're having check-in. We'll start at, at 5 o'clock, and right now we're slated to still be at Perry Park, um, but if the rain continues to persist, then we are. We have our secondary location. We'll be at Burles Millette Elementary School, but check-in for all of our players will start at uh, 5 o'clock for anyone that wants to come out and participate and be part of this event. You know, you don't have to be a soccer player to be involved in, our, in this activity for today, but just to be able to celebrate with us. Um, and then from there at 5.30, our program is uh, scheduled to be uh, to get started. Uh, we're introducing, like, again, the players that we will have on hand as well as theirs. Sean Williams, Director of Coastal Outreach Soccer, our guest here on 3 and Out. Sean, really appreciate the time. Thanks so much. All right. Thank you guys for having us. Appreciate it. Sean Williams joining us here on 3 and Out is uh, BJ again, uh, members of the Atlanta United and some of their executive staff going to be on hand to uh, to dedicate the park, have a, a fun kind of mini camp there as well, and uh, to dedicate the new futsal court, which is, from what I understand, kind of indoor soccer outdoors. Yeah, very cool. And uh, Coastal Outreach Soccer, of course, does a great job. And uh, Atlanta United coming down. Darius Slay going to be out there. So a wonderful opportunity uh, this afternoon, this evening, and I certainly encourage people to take part. We've got more to come here. It's 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you back here, three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network final hour of the show, and of course the NFL has been wild here with uh, with trades and signings uh, the last couple of days. Joining us here from uh, DraftCountdown.com, how does that change up uh, the draft? Shane Hallam joins us here on three and out. Shane, welcome. How are you? 
I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Hey, doing fantastic. Maybe not at the top, uh, but how have all the, the, the movement in the National Football League changed things, maybe even in the, the middle portion of the first round? I think it's definitely shifted some things uh, in terms of where teams are going to look. Obviously, we had some picks change hands with the Seahawks getting number nine, and now the, the Chiefs have another late-round pick. But I think you're going to see just different priorities from some of these teams. Um, receiver becomes a little more of a priority to some of the teams that have given some away. In the middle of the draft, I think we're looking still at a lot of edge rushers, offensive tackles, those positions that just aren't uh, aren't as big. So. Definitely a shake-up in the draft. It's definitely had me scrambling a little bit as each of these go down. A few weeks ago, Shane, a lot of people were saying maybe the Jaguars go offensive tackle at number one, but they uh, franchise Cam Robinson. Does that mean that the Jaguars are going to take Aiden Hutchinson at number one overall? I think it's the most likely scenario. I, I still think they're going to do their due diligence on these offensive tackles. Um, you know, I think Jawan Taylor is fine as the starter on the other side of Cam Robinson. And then you look to next year, you're, you're probably going to need to rehash that position anyway. So I think there's still a chance. They go offensive tackle, but I think it would just be so hard to pass on Aiden Hutchinson, get that pass rusher on the other side opposite Josh Allen, and kind of lock things up, especially with where they're picking in the second round. I think they, if they still want to go offensive line, they can, and it opens up the interior a little bit more. So I, I'm, I'm guessing Aiden Hutchinson who I had going to my mock draft this week. Um, but I do think that the offensive tackle is still on the board. Uh, speaking of pass rushes, I mean, uh, Atlanta, they, they go out and sign a Lorenzo Carter in the offseason. How, 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 how great would a guy like Kayvon Thibodeau on the other side of that uh, young, still young, uh, inexperienced defense line help out a very, very young Atlanta Falcons defense? I think it would be huge. I have him taken uh, Thibodeau in my mock draft this week. I think there's a good shot that he's there. It seems that, that some NFL teams have questions about his play against the run. Is he a complete player? But uh, getting Lorenzo Carter, I think, almost opens it up where Lorenzo Carter can do all those things. Uh, that way you can let Thibodeau just pin back his ears, rush the passer, use that electric first step and those pass rush moves to your advantage. Um, I actually think it opens it up. I, I think that would be a really good move for the Falcons. They have some flexibility there at eight to go pass rush, to go uh, if they want to get a future quarterback or if they want to get you know, a Kyle Hamilton or, or Sauce Gardner in the secondary. Shane Hallam, DraftCountdown.com, joining us here on 3 Now. Atlanta's interesting here, obviously, in our state, Shane, because they need pretty much everything uh, at that point. I'm interested with, as someone who does mock drafts uh, all the time, what's a team or how far down in this draft do you get before you say this is the team that kind of dictates the position of the draft, i.e. it's like, okay, we kind of know what Jacksonville is going to do, so on and so forth, and then depending on what Team X does, it could spin this thing off in a whole other direction. I, I honestly, I think Atlanta at eight might be that team this year where you, you feel good about, you know, okay, the top you know, top pass rushers are going to go off the board, Aiden Hutchinson, Trevon Walker. You feel good that the top three offensive tackles are going to go and probably someone in the secondary. Um, so I feel like eight, nine starts to get into that territory of, okay, maybe Atlanta gets uh, a Thibodeau or whatever, whoever falls from that top seven. Um, and then Seattle at nine, especially if neither of these teams go quarterback, uh, you know, where, where they go is going to depend on where that depth is at an edge rusher, an offensive tackle going forward, and that kind of shifts everything. Um, so I think the top you know, six or seven, I feel good about the players that are going there right now. Uh, but when you get down to eight and nine with teams like Atlanta and Seattle who – 
could take a quarterback early. I don't. I don't think they will. But uh, that could shake things up. Or if they, you know, reach for a player at a position that they need, like an offensive tackle for Seattle, uh, that that definitely switches things up and makes the whole draft shift. Shane, do you think it gets that far down before we see a a quarterback taken or somebody getting antsy and trading up and and, and shifting the draft on these uh, these quarterbacks? Seems like people like to overreach at times for the quarterbacks. Uh, how far do we get down before you start to see? Teams may be panic about getting that quarterback. I think this is just such a tough year to predict because as much as some teams like Kenny Pickett from Pittsburgh or Malik Willis from Liberty, there's still some major holes in their game compared to uh, last year when we saw um, you know Justin Fields and, and, and Trevor Lawrence and you know even those guys even Fields fell even Mac Jones fell to 15 um, and Zach Wilson and, and Trey Lance. I, I think. Ultimately, we're going to see in that back end of the top ten, teams start to get a little bit scared. Um, you know, especially if Carolina passes on a quarterback at six. You know, do, do the Falcons, do the Seahawks, does someone else move up? And so, when you look at maybe a team like Pittsburgh at twenty, uh, Mike Tomlin has been at every single quarterback's pro day so far. He's taken every single quarterback out to dinner, from Desmond Ritter to Matt Corral. Uh, you know, I think that's a team that could want to move up, maybe nine, ten picks feel comfortable in that 11-12 range if, if those quarterbacks are still out there. Atlanta doesn't have a whole lot at wide receiver, and I know a lot of people are talking on social media, blogs, whatnot, about uh, do they have to get a wide receiver. Does that does that mean first round, or is there enough depth in this, in this wide receiver class where maybe Atlanta in the second round could potentially get a starting wide receiver? I, I think the second round is really a sweet spot for Atlanta to take a wide receiver, and, and having the picks that they do in that second round, I mean, I think when you're looking at 43 overall, um, it is, is a pretty good spot to go and grab one. Um, and, you know, even 58, I think there could be some players there. I imagine the top five are gone, but the next set of receivers are pretty good from Christian Watson, North Dakota State, 6'4", 208, runs in the four threes. George Pickens from Georgia obviously is, is drawing a lot of interest. I think he'll go pretty high in that second round. But even the, the you know Jahan Dotson from Penn State, I think he is a very fast four three type player. Um, Sky Moore from Western Michigan. Like I think that second round, there's a lot of players that could be NFL starters. This is a deep class. We don't have Jamar Chase. We don't have that elite top end receiver. But we have maybe ten guys that could be NFL starters uh, with a little development and in the right system. And, and I even think. Atlanta could look at a guy like Jalen Tolbert out of South Alabama that fits kind of that Calvin Ridley-type role and mold, uh, and they could be fine picking one in the second round. Shane, when you go back to the Josh Rosen draft, and obviously this guy's been on a different team every year, I think it was top 10, top 11 pick. Do do uh, do GMs kind of look at you know some quarterbacks in the sense of where if I if I get a Kenny Pickett if I get a Malik Willis if I get a Matt Corral if I you know if I get one uh, you know Desmond Ritter and he doesn't work out do they potentially say hey could we potentially have to draft quarterbacks and back to back you know first rounds and back to back drafts? It's it's rare because I think most times when you have a coaching staff and general manager draft a quarterback that high um, if, in anywhere in the first round. They're kind of hitching their wagon. You have that five-year option with that fifth year. You have a four-year contract. And so even if things don't go great year one, as long as those, that GM and that coach is still there, they don't want to admit to failure right away. You know, we've seen it happen sometimes like in Arizona when Cliff Kingsbury came in. They took Kyler Murray after taking Josh Rosen the year before. So it happens that there's a big change at the top and you have really one of those high-end picks. 
I think it'll be tough if you take maybe a, one of these round two quarterbacks like a Sam Howell, like a Desmond Ritter, and then you're picking number one overall and staring at Bryce Young from Alabama and C.J. Stroud at Ohio State to say, nah, I'm going to pass on those guys because I took someone around two. I think this could be uh, the year where if that happens, um, a team might you know, kind of give up after that first year if a player, a quarterback they took in round two just isn't working out. Shane Hallam, Draft Countdown, uh, joining us here on the three and out. Shane, obviously, if you're Georgia, you win the national championship, you're going to have a, a bunch of prospects. Uh, moving on to the National Football League, how many of these guys do you see going first round, second round out of the University of Georgia? Uh, I, th- I think it's going to be a lot. <laughs> I think the University of Georgia is going to have um, you know, close to, to 10 players taken in the top 100. Um, I think absolutely that the, those defensive line prospects, Trevon Walker, Devontae Wyatt, Jordan Davis, uh, all going to go in the first round. Um, I think we're going to see N'Kobe Dean go in the top 50, as well as the other two linebackers go in the top 100, Channing Tindale, Quay Walker. They're going to go in the top 100 as well. You know, then you have George Pickens. Um, you have a guy like Samir White. I think could sneak in there into the, the top 100 mix. I think Jamari Salyer, the offensive lineman, could go. Um, there, there's just so many good prospects. You watch Georgia, you see the athleticism, you see what they bring to the table. It's almost hard. I mean, Lewis Seen is probably going to go in the top 50. So I think they could get between 10 and 12 on the first two days of the draft, and that would, be, uh, that would hit the record. They, they, if they get 12, they would tie the record for the most in the top 100. We've seen the projections really rise for Trevon Walker how, how high can he go, and, and do most NFL teams see him as a, a defensive end or a defensive tackle? Uh, from, from what I've heard, most teams see him as a defensive end, as an edge rusher that they can kick inside if they need to um, and add a little bit of pass rush on the interior on third down and pass rush situations. I have him going third to the Houston Texans right now, um, and I, I think the sky's the limit. I think even Jacksonville is going to take a close look I don't think Trevon Walker's as polished as Aiden Hutchinson, but, man, just the athleticism and upside he brings to the table. We saw it in the national championship. Teams are going to love that. I will be surprised if he's not a top-five pick in the NFL draft. I mean, you look at guys like, what, Fletcher Cox, Chris Jones, and obviously nobody's is, you know, as good as Aaron Donald. Jordan Davis and the impact he could potentially have on whatever team picks him. Talk about, obviously, what he did at the Combine to kind of show everybody he's a freak show. But what, how, do you, how do you see him, uh, you know, blending in as a pro, especially with his size and athleticism? Uh, I mean, the Combine, just if you take his size, position, everything into account, uh, it, it basically came out to be the second most athletic Combine of all time behind only Calvin Johnson. That, that's how athletic Jordan Davis is. I don't think anyone expected that. But when you watch him play at Georgia, you see a player who's an elite two-gap run stuffer, and you see some of that explosion come out, even when they didn't use him on third down. So I think the three-down ability that he has is really going to dear him to teams. On Draft Countdown, recently I put my kind of prospect comparisons. He reminds me so much of Haloti Nada coming out of college, uh, the old Baltimore Raven. I think the Ravens would be a perfect fit for Jordan Davis going to the top 15. Gives you that run stuffer, but... Man, I mean, he is also going to add some interior pressure, and that's some of the best quarterbacks. That is what gets that's what gets Tom Brady. It's that interior pressure because you're not expecting it. I think Jordan Davis can be a difference maker. Shane Hallam, DraftCountdown.com, our guest here on Three and Out. Shane, appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks for having me as always. Appreciate it. Shane Hallam joining us here on Three and Out, and as you said, you could have a record number 
of George Bulldogs in the top 100, potentially 12, which he said would set the record for most from one program inside the top 100. Not My math's not very good, but that's what, 12% right, of right. the first I mean, half. Not, not very surprising given what we saw last year. And and I think the defensive front guys, I mean, with with Devontae Wyatt, I mean, in there, in addition to Davis and, and Walker. And then, you, you know, you think about the defensive front guys for next year, Jalen Carter and Nolan Smith. I mean, but, yeah, you're going to have a lot of Georgia Bulldogs selected really early. When you think about how hard it is to make it to the National Football League when they say you are less than 1% to make it to the league and 12 guys are coming from one school – in the top 100, and that's before you even get to Alabama. That's before you even get to the other schools in the SEC. Hey, when people ask why the Georgia win the national championship, they're going to say the, the defense first and Stetson Bennett second, and you will in the 2022 NFL draft will validate that. We've got more to come here on this Thursday. It's three and out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you back here on three and out, Falcons. Waiting at number eight, uh, Shane Hallam saying he's got Kayvon Thibodeau going to Atlanta in his latest mock draft. Where do you see the needs here for Atlanta? Obviously, they could use, honestly, probably everything. But if you had to prioritize something in this draft, where do you look here for Atlanta? I agree with what Christian has said a couple of times on second down. I, I think you got to build from, from the line of scrimmage. I think that's where you have to start. And foundationally, I think Atlanta still has some questions there. I mean, pass rusher, questions. Offensive line, questions. And maybe constantly that should be the point of emphasis for every team, given that's where football starts. But I understand that you need help it's safety. You probably need a second corner. You have to replace the NFL's leading tackler. You have to replace multiple wide receivers. You still have questions at running back. I mean, I think you aptly phrased it where you said you pretty much need help everywhere. But I think if Kayvon Thibodeau is there at eight, that's the best-case scenario. Even, even a Kyle Hamilton who would be great or – you know, a Charles Cross who would be great. You've you've struggled for quite some time to find a consistent edge rusher that can be that number one defensive end, Pro Bowl defensive end. And I I, I kind of don't understand some of the, I guess, uh, 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 slide we've seen with Kayvon Thibodeau. I, what what has he not done? I mean, I I think the production has been consistent since even with that just absurd hype coming out of high school. Everybody's saying, you got to come in and you got to do this right away, and he did. And, and I think that was a reflection of what he's going to do in the National Football League. I think Thibodeau would be a home run. Um, I know some people have said, could you trade down? I mean, if you do that, could, could a Jordan Davis or a Devontae Wyatt be in play or a Jermaine Johnson? Uh, but I, I like what Shane said. I think if you were to go Thibodeau at eight, and I don't I, – end of the day, I don't think he's going to be there. I, I think some of this, Kevin, I know you say is – kind of trying to confuse people. Kayvon Thibodeau, if he falls to eight, that would surprise me. But if you can get a lineman, whether it's Charles Cross, whether it's Kayvon Thibodeau, uh, you know, maybe Jermaine Johnson, I think wide receiver in round two makes sense because there's so many guys. I mean, George Pickens, Justin Ross, Jalen Torbert, David Bell. Uh, you never you never know for sure, but it seems like a lot of those guys are going to be there in the second round. I think you need to go with a frontline player with, with your first pick. Atlanta needs so much. I mean, you but you, but the thing is, is it, it, it does come down to who chases these quarterbacks because of who is in your division. People keep talking about Tom Brady and what he brings to the table with the Bucks. Well, the first seven games of the year last year with Jameis Winston, he was five and two. He fits in well with what they're trying to do in New Orleans. You're gonna have to get a guy to go along alongside Lorenzo Carter. What Lorenzo Carter can do for a guy like Kayvon Thibodeau, he can show him how to play the game. The reason why Kayvon Thibodeau is dropping BJ is because they're only showing highlights of him rushing the passer because you don't want to see him trying to stop the run. If you Okay, but can I ask this question mm-hmm. though? 
Are you drafting Kayvon Thibodeau with the Atlanta Falcons, given what we've talked about our entire radio careers to, mm-hmm. to stop the run? Yes, because at the end of the day, he is a top eight pick. That means he doesn't come off the field. What you what do you think? What do you think teams are gonna do to him? Teams come at you with what you cannot do. They don't want you, they don't want to let you go out there and specialize in what you do do. So I'm a, I'm a, I'm gonna lean on you for the first two downs. You have nothing left for third down. You have to be a every down player if you are a top eight pick. You are because right now, right, with Atlanta Falcons. Kyle Pitts, Marcus Mariota, who else? I mean, AJ. Uh, I mean, I mean AJ Terrell, but BJ, let's face it, man. I mean, the face of a franchise is not going to be a cornerback. His name ain't Jalen Ramsey, right? So I just think that what Kayvon Thibodeau brings to the table, he brings a guy that can definitely come in, you know, and prove that he can be an every-down player. He's going to have to be because he's going to be slotted to be a starter. But when you got a team like Atlanta, they have nobody to throw to. Their second-round pick last year didn't play well at the safety position. That hurts you because every single draft pick in 2022 is going to have to contribute. Think about that. No matter who they get, they got to contribute. I like the Marcus Mariota pickup, but he only was there because you needed somebody, and him and Arthur, Arthur Smith got ties. So I just think that when you got so many holes like a team like Atlanta, unfortunately, if I, when, I was a, listen, when I was a rookie, I had to contribute. Thank God I wasn't a key contributor. When I say contribute, that means you're going to start or play a lot. That doesn't mean that your contribution is going to help win games. So I, 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 that was a heck of a pep talk. I, no, I'm, I'm just, I'm just calling. I'm just calling. Okay, BJ. All right. What happens when a team average, average, uh, average players twenty four and under? They're the first pick in the draft. Who's the youngest team in the it. league? I get it. I was on that team twice. I was a vet at twenty three. Hey, but you a vet now? Yeah, because everybody else is twenty one, twenty two. Me and Pac Man Jones, man, we love. And hey, what's up, Pac? We get the hell beat out of us. Because we don't uh, we don't know how to win yet. What do you think happens when did you, people talking about you don't hear nobody? Nobody? Did you even know that Marcus Mariota was still in the league? Nope. Until he get until he comes <laughs> to Atlanta. Let's just call it what it is. He was a former number two overall pick. He is fighting for his football life. You know what? His, you know what? His number one overall pick fighting for his over there in New Orleans. What are they both doing? Starting in the same division. Only one got Alvin Kamara, Michael Thomas. The other guy got Kyle Pitts. And maybe Marcus Mariota's little brother can play football. They can bring hey, in Cordell the Patterson. Got no... They got Cordell Patterson. They, they, they do got Cordell Patterson. You know who don't like Cordell Patterson? Mike Davis. Because he's going to be taking his his touches. So I, we'll see. I don't know. All the talk about wide receiver number eight, I, I guess I understand No, no, no. It. You can't no. get a wide receiver and, that and, high. And I am a need guy. I, mean, I, I don't think it's always as simple as take the highest guy on your board. But I just think... I mean, how long have we been talking about Atlanta struggling up front on both sides of the line of scrimmage? A lot. And this is a really good draft on both sides of the line of scrimmage. And, and, and actually, in terms of priority, I, I have defensive end number one. I would put wide receiver in there because you only really have one that you've ever heard of on the roster. I think you have a couple. Of, technically, if you had to go out there in a three-wide formation, you could do it, mm. but you might be going, who are those other two guys oh, yeah. out I there? Mean, the depth but, wide but, receiver, but, but, but I think that you can address in the draft because there's a lot of guys out there. I think linebacker, and I had interior offensive lineman. If you do not get – because, again, they don't have to start. Nope. But I don't think you can go out there and be like, oh, we got Jalen Mayfield. And we got that. Like, no, we I, you need some offensive line. Even the whole more. offensive line. And, yeah. and that's why I think guys that have positional versatility along the offensive line, I've seen that mentioned a bunch. I mean, you think about like – I think a, a center guard combo yeah. guy would be you good. You think about yeah. Jamari Sawyer. You know, Jamari Sawyer at Georgia played tackle and guard. You yes. think about a Luke Fortner out of Kentucky who can play center and guard. Like you said, you think about – uh, you know, which, some is, which, these, is, which is some extremely, which is extremely rare, by yes, the way. Yes, yes. I, I, don't be surprised if you see Atlanta take players that have now, I mean, if Evan, I, I don't think Evan Neal's falling, but Evan Neal played all five offensive line positions at Alabama. And he even Ike Ekwanu I mean, yeah. can play guard or, or tackle. I mean, I think, I think Atlanta— Please don't get an O-lineman. I, I, no, don't get an O-lineman? No. Dude, I, 
Have you, have you uh, what? At all in the whole draft? No, no, no. Oh, oh, I'm, I'm, no, I'm, I'm not taking one number one, but it needs to be addressed yeah, in yeah. the draft. I think you got to consider it at number one. I mean, it's like you said, Matt Ryan's uh, been uh, hit. Uh, uh, why, why not? Because, BJ, I think I think what happens is, too, right? This is what y'all are really doing. You're thinking, hey, man, go ahead and get your offensive lineman this year, man. You're not going to get C.J. Stroud, right? You're not going to get Bryce Young next year. Everybody, that's two guys. I know everybody thinking, man, the next year's going to be loaded. Two teams will benefit from two guys in 2023. Probably ain't going to be Atlanta. I just think that. What happens is you put yourself in such a hole because this is the thing. We're talking about Grady Jarrett. Who plays around him? We hope that Lorenzo Carter is going to be a good pickup. You know how you know they ain't got no money? How many guys signed multiple-year deals? One-year deals, two-year deals maybe. But the defense has gotten better, you know, slightly. Casey Hayward, T's Tabor, right? You got two guys that can help you, you know, as far as, like, the secondary goes. You're going to have to add somebody in the secondary. Don't get a, don't get a wide receiver. I would look O-line. Uh, and and now the question is now I wouldn't reach for an O lineman, mm-hmm. but from what I've seen with the mocks and you never know, looks like three offensive tackles are being picked to go in the top ten. Uh, Akeem Ekwanu out of NC State, Evan Neal and Charles Cross out of Mississippi State. I think if 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 one of those guys are there, I'm not sure they will be mm-hmm. because the Giants need O line help, the Jets need O line help, the Panthers need O line so, help. So Marcus Mariota Mariota gonna be upright. Ain't nobody gonna touch him. Kyle Pitts gonna be double teamed. Cordell Patterson gonna forget he a receiver, and he's still gonna get sacked. You got to give him some type. I'm not saying get receiver, but he has nobody. Like, when's the last time Atlanta goes into a? But you have two second round picks. I mean, I, and and I mean, I hear you. So, would you consider receiver at eight? I wouldn't consider. I wouldn't consider a receiver at eight. I do, I still think that you got to go D lineman. But I just think that when Atlanta got so many holes, like when's the last time? Right, we go from Roddy White to Julio Jones. I mean, what? Taylor Gabriel. Now, the Atlanta wide receivers, you don't know who the hell they are. If the, if the starting Atlanta wide receiver walked in the, in the studio right now, we'd be like, sir, you need something? You lost? Well, Kevin said during the break, bring Michael Jenkins back. Well, why not? No, I was just, that was a Trade joke. Trade for but... no. <laughs> You're trying to get LaVisca from the Jazz, No, 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 because somebody over here, no, no, I'm, I'm just saying, Terry Fontenot, listen, may God bless you, sir, because you have but nothing I don't think, to do but, but to be it. fair, I don't know if Terry Fontenot can screw this up. Like, you have so many needs, like, Take a D lineman. If you go wide receiver, you may think, "Oh, well, it's too soon." It's not like you don't need one, though. No, I mean, that's I mean it's like, I mean, offensive lineman. Okay, maybe you reach. I'm sorry, Jalen Mayfield. Are you irreplaceable? Nope. I mean, if you got a tackle to play right side, okay. I mean, literally, the only thing that would not make any sense. Well, I mean, and even then, you could you could make a case would be like quarterback. But I mean, yeah. Do you believe Marcus Mariota's on? But I, I just look at it and say, there's not a position on the field. That they could draft yeah. at number eight, that yeah. I would go, man, probably shouldn't have done that. Yeah. No, they could draft anybody could draft from anywhere. End at number eight. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Jalen Watermeyer was, I mean, what you talking about? He was balling today. Well, hey, if you can't beat him on the outside, then we'll just steal. I mean, pay. he was the most productive. No, no, listen, if you can't beat him on the outside, then you just steal a play from Bill Belichick's book and say, we're going to get so many no, no, daggum no, no, tight no, no, ends no, no. Here, here, that we're going to make no, plays no, with I, that. And I got to throw this out there. We always talking about I'm the, I'm the, you know, I'm the front runner on this team. You know, I'm, I'm always, you know, I'm showing bias when it comes to my Gators. Area, what about Jermaine Johnson? Who did he play for? Georgia and uh, Florida State. Yeah. You don't think Jermaine Johnson I do. is I a love Jermaine Johnson. I do. I think Jermaine Johnson. I'm just saying. So you're telling me you go Florida in 2021 and you go Florida State in 2022. Look, yeah. That's going to help me get back to the winning ways. I mean, I do agree with Kevin. There are options. Yes. And there's a good draft. I, 
I mean, is there any position that would be taken that would make you go, oh, God. Well, I think some Like, people, the reaction back, everybody has. Back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Running back. <laughs> like, the reaction everybody has normally think, with, like, Cleveland or I something like that. Some like, people oh, have, have improperly kind of phrased this draft, maybe because there aren't three, four superstar quarterbacks. They've said, oh, man, it's no, this is a great draft. It is. You have great defensive line prospects. You have great offensive line prospects. You have great receiver pro- You have great corner prospects. Yeah. There may not be three, four, five, you know, can't-miss quarterbacks. But not only do I think Atlanta's in a good position at eight, what what is it, 42 and 56, I think they said, in their 40, whatever in the second round. I mean, you, you have three of the top 60 picks in the draft. I think I think you can get three starters there and, and three guys that make you better. And I would focus, one of those has to be a wide receiver. I, I'm, I'm not doing that at eight, but one of those has to be a receiver. But I'm just, I'm looking at the line of scrimmage because that's been an issue for how long? Forever. I mean, we was at 2019 draft. They got two, for two first round uh, offensive lineman. How did that work out? Well, Chris Lindstrom's awesome. Caleb McGarry is not, I mean, you, you know, not have the consistency. What, what, what did the Orlando <laughs> say about it? You got to get him off the field. The <laughs> Orlando said you got to get him off. <laughs> we'll come back. Uh, speaking of the draft, as uh, we talked with Shane Hallam, could be a record, not just for Georgia, but in the history of the draft, record draft for the University of Georgia. We'll hit that next. It's three and out. Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you back here, three and out on this Thursday. Draft upcoming in April. And as we talked with Shane Hallam earlier this hour, guys, it could be a record year for the University of Georgia. He said 12 guys in the top 100. So over 10% of the top 100 players could come from one place uh, there at uh, the University of Georgia. We've heard reports of Trayvon Walker shooting up draft boards, which, BJ, I know, as, a, as a concept, you always find it hilarious. Like, hey, the season ended in January. We've seen guys run in spandex shorts. We've seen them lay down on the bench. We've seen them jump up in the air standing still. What has changed to have guys shooting up other than potential yeah, I mean, uh, pre-draft uh, misdirections? But we've seen people take Trayvon Walker from maybe a mid-level first-round pick all the way up to what you said. Mark Jones-Drew had him number one going to Jacksonville, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so it's like you've seen him go from – mid-level to all the way as high as number one here in the span of a couple weeks, and, and nothing has happened. And the guy's fantastic. I mean, I think, you know, he you you saw him play up to the potential of being a top 10, top 5 type pick even during the season. But it is interesting how, like, when the mock drafts come out, you know, like with Aiden Hutchinson, when the first mock drafts came out, he was not at the top. Nope. He was not there. And, you know, you'll have one week a mock draft has, you know, a quarterback at, like, 37. And then the next week they have him at, at five, but I think I think yeah I think I think Trayvon Walker is really good for me. I, I, you guys know I've been consistent with Jordan Davis all all year. I I've I've never really understood some of the criticisms of Jordan Davis uh, in terms of well he's not a fit for all schemes. Well I mean you would know more about this than me obviously Ben, but I don't think I don't think all players all are fits for all schemes. I mean normally you need to go to a place that accentuates your strengths and. I know uh, Shane mentioned, could he go to Baltimore? That would be a really good fit. I think I think Jordan Davis, in terms of what you want from a nose tackle, Atlanta runs a 3-4, Jacksonville runs a 3-4, Baltimore, I mean, a lot of teams run a 3-4. He's a perfect fit. And what he did at the Combine is the most ridiculous thing we've ever seen at the Combine for a player of his size to have that athleticism. So I'll go Davis, I'll go Walker right there, number two. I'm a huge fan of Trayvon Walker. I think, you know, part of that – Iconic, and Ben, you've said it rightly, an iconic defensive line, an all-time great defensive line at Georgia. I think, to me, both of those guys should be top ten picks or have have earned that. Uh, I'll go to Kobe Dean, three. 
what? I mean, some people have, I guess, questioned his speed. I mean, well, really? He, he, I mean, he had some type of injury at his at his pro day. But, I mean, but I think if be you fine. watched him on the field, I mean, absolutely, yeah. I mean, Roquan Smith 2.0. I mean, I think he's a first-round pick. I, Devontae Wyatt. Right up there with right up there with Jordan Davis, Trayvon Walker. I mean, I think Devontae Wyatt uh, is a first round pick. Six two, what about three fifteen? You can plug in the middle. He may be more of a, a three four. I, I guess not a pass rushing defensive, mm-hmm. but, but yeah. a defensive lineman or a four three uh, interior lineman. And then uh, I'll go George Pickens at five uh, to give you just I guess my top five Georgia prospects. I think Pickens is going to have a lot to offer at the next level. I mean, I, I have jumped on the uh, you know the Trayvon Walker train. I think what happens is sometimes once you get to breaking the guy down and you start looking at what his ceiling could be, you start saying, all right, man, this guy's you know they they showed him like uh, dropping into coverage, running side, running stride for stride with running backs down the sideline. Most guys that size uh, can't even begin to do that. I mean, I think my number two is Nicole Dean. You cannot. You cannot, and I'm gonna say this until you know the cows come home. When you talk about what a what a a heat seeking missile at the linebacker position that doesn't come off the field does for your team, that is a sure fight because he he doesn't come off the field because he can because he can cover because he can hit because he can blitz and he gets everybody lined up. Nicobe Dean, his best play was making sure the guys like you know Devontae White was where they're supposed to be. So he is my number two, regardless of how you feel about him. No. You don't win the Buckets Award. I mean, going away with it the way he did it, he is he is the guy behind that front. I mean, that that front four that made it all go. My number three is Jordan Davis. Look, I saw some Jordan. Jordan Davis said growing up he wanted to be a DJ and he wanted he was gonna call himself DJ Oreo because the freaking turntables <laughs> are like Oreos. Who gonna tell him no? Jordan Davis is the type of player you can build a defense around because he's unselfish. No, he's not gonna have those Adamica Sue type numbers, right? But he had a Dominic Sue type impact because the reason why we're talking about Trayvon Walker and the Kobe Dean, I know I'm going to get uh, to Devontae White, is because big, you know, uh, big Jordan Davis in the middle, the guy flat out did it all. You can't run the ball at him. That's not happening. He's taking out two blockers every single play. And if that quarterback is dumb enough to sit in that pocket, he will run you over because he can deal with he, He's dealing with well over 600 pounds every, every single play, but he dictates, uh, he dictates tone. My number four is James Cook, though. The thing about the running back position is, you know, if you go, if you go, if you go to, uh, if you go look at a team like like the Dallas Cowboys, right, right, you know what they want to do with Zeke. You need a number two. Why? Because guys, I mean, you got an extra game now, right? Nobody's gonna be the bell cow back anymore. I mean, I, the, the days I, I get it what they do with Derrick Henry, right? But what happens with Derrick Henry in the playoffs? He's out of gas. Two thousand yards look good, but if you can't give us fifty in the playoffs, it. Don't matter. I like what James Cook bring to the table, but BJ, I got. I'm doing a BJ. I'm doing a five A and B. Right? I got. <laughs> I got. I got. I got the oh, I didn't get to do. I mean, I want to put hey, hey, Sawyer in listen, there. Listen, Kevin. Listen, we we started off wrong anyway. We're supposed to go from five to one. We are going from one to five. That's not the Kevin Thomas rule. No, Devontae White is my number five. I I just think that when you think about what a guy can do and. What, they, what they'll do is they'll look at what you've done individually and they'll look at what you meant to the defense collectively. I think Devontae White is a guy, BJ, that he'll find a way to make it work in the 3-4 or 4-3 because just real some of the, the Jordan Davis, he's really, really unselfish. And George Pickens is my 5B. I think George Pickens, you know, I mean, getting past the injury, look, he, 6-3, 200 pounds, running 4-4. You're going to find a way to find a way to, uh, to get him to rock, and I, I don't agree with some of these commentators saying that they didn't run NFL routes at Georgia. Well, if they didn't run NFL routes at Georgia and they still won the national championship, you should be worried as hell if you got to play them, you know, in uh, 2022 and moving forward because it's going to be ugly for the competition. But this Georgia team or this Georgia defense in particular, 
Reminds me of that 2000, or really this Georgia team reminds me of that 2000, I mean 2004 coming out with the Miami Bulls. I think they put six in the first round. I think it's still a record right now. I think that Georgia might have a chance to shatter that thing. I, I do think I do think Jordan Davis is probably going to end up being a better pro than everybody when it's all said and done because he's walking he's walking out of Georgia. He's walking into wherever and doing what he does. I'm going to eat these double teams up for breakfast. I'm going to keep every. I'm going to I'm going to control my gap. I'm going to I'm going to get I'm going to get sacks when necessary. But on the field, I am a monster. I look and play the same. I wish the best for Nicole Dean. I hate when guys get hurt in the pre-jab process because it already you're already kind of uh, dealing with it. But yeah, this Georgia, these Georgia, this Georgia team this year. My goodness, you talking about potentially what 12, 12 what ten to twelve guys in the top one hundred picks? There are there won't be ten to twelve guys drafted for certain teams in twelve drafts. They won't get that many guys. So shout out to them Bulldogs, man. You find a way to get it done. Yeah, they're all loaded. Uh, in that in that draft, and uh, again, you you had to label it there, narrow it down to five. I will go backwards uh, as you guys did, one to five, because you already you know. But I, I had uh, I had Jordan Davis there at number one. I think again, just from the readiness, and you can't do six, seven, three fifty, like you just can't do that. I mean, what you can't just go make that happen, right? Hey, we need you to be a little bit bigger. No, he's already big. He's already huge. So. Headed number one, I, and they're going to be Dean again. Uh, injury stuff, unless it's something major, go watch the tape. I think he, and so I have him down at number two, Trayvon Walker, number three, uh, Devonta Wyatt, number four, and my five will be a little different. I think Lewis Seen, a, a cleanup guy. Uh, ben, I, I like those guys. Uh, I think they, to, to find a guy like that because of the rules package sometimes, I think you've lost some of that in the NFL and in college football because people are scared about personal fouls and targeting. But I love a guy that, it's kind of that cleanup guy. Hey, you come down over the middle, I'm here. You want to run it down, I'm coming down to hit you in the run game. I I, I, I think he's a guy that's going to have a nice career. Maybe not as heralded. That's why I moved him up a little bit. Maybe not as heralded as the other guys in that, in that bunch, but I think he could be a guy that sticks maybe the longest in the National like Football it. League uh, when it's all said and done. We'll come back, get you ready for some hoops. Sweet 16 round starts in just a little bit. We'll break it down for you tonight here. It's 3 and Out, Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you back here on this Thursday. Kevin and BJ are all right. Ben apparently is uh, hacking up the pollen. <laughs> That's what happened, That's what happened when, I be, when I be singing that Luna. Oh, man. But we got NCAA basketball tournament uh, tonight. We got uh, coverage starting as soon as we are done. And then coming up, Gonzaga, Arkansas, right out the gate. Uh, Going to be a good one. Michigan, Villanova, Texas Tech, Duke, Houston, Arizona tonight to get it down uh, towards the Elite Eight round. Should be Three or four, well, four really good games. I think. I was going to say, not going to be a good game. I thought, you had, I thought you had a good game. Everybody, everybody is a Texas Tech Look, fan man, tonight. You got three good games. You got one. Just don't pay attention. Just, just <laughs> skip that one. No, I, I thought you had a good take earlier where you said there are so many storylines that nobody's talking about Michigan Villanova. Right. Michigan Villanova, that's a nice matchup. And uh, Michigan, you know, some people said, hey, should they not be in the tournament? They played great in the tournament. And beat Tennessee, a Tennessee team that was red hot, and then Villanova, they're always there. It's like the Sweet 16, Villanova's not losing in the first two rounds. Uh, I think I think Michigan's size may be an advantage in that game, but I think I think, I think think that's a great matchup. But you're right. Everybody's talking about Duke and Texas Tech. Let's come on, Texas Tech. Let's, let's just get, get this over with. I'm you don't, you don't, you don't want to see Duke, Carolina? I mean, I... I do, but at the that's same, the storyline I would like. Have Carolina knock out Coach K again. I think that I would mean, be. BJ, I mean, are you going to be sad to see Coach K go? 
think the officiating may be a little more. <laughs> oh, oh, so the home cooking is going to be over with? I mean, it is amazing. Like I was, I was following Twitter during that Duke Michigan State game. Like every every other post was, well, these officials are bad. I mean, like, Kevin, why do they look, want Duke to win so much? We all love ACC basketball. Look, man, you're playing. You know, you're playing in Cameron Indoor, Coach K. It's it's a little it's a little different. I, I mean, would you be surprised if there are some there are some questionable no, calls? No, tonight? no, not at all. But I mean, look, I, I again, it, it's going to come to an end one way or another. Come on, uh, if you're if you're Coach K, I think the storybook uh, is you know they win the championship, but I don't I don't know how many people are are rooting for that. I mean, you have people who like Duke. I mean, I can appreciate what Coach K has done for college basketball and what he means. It doesn't mean I'm out here pulling for Duke to win. That would be like. Hey, Derek Jeter is about to retire. Let me pull for the Yankees to win the World Series. No, I'm not doing it. I not appreciate it. it. Not Derek Jeter is a great player. Yankees need to lose uh, and get on out of here. It's kind of the same way. Unless you are a fan of Duke or you root for Georgia football and you like Duke, yep. you know you don't want yeah, to. I mean, you don't Co- want, you don't want Duke a legend. to win. Coach K is a legend, but I I do think it's the LeBron fan. Like you get tired of hearing about it. Like that's all it a is. Lot like of you get tired like of rooting for Duke. A yes. lot of people like rooting against Duke. Right. I mean, what? Listen. At what point did you realize in your life you're not going to be a Duke fan? I'm not rooting for Coach K because I got so sick of it growing up. Like, man, I mean, I'm just saying, them Duke is get out of here, man. Like, no, you usually listen. You usually root for a team you grew up watching or a team you went to school with. Neither one of those is Duke. Okay. But I'm not minimizing how good Coach K has been. He's been fantastic. Yes. But as a fan, I'm not. I'm. I'm not rooting for the story. But I think we got to go back to the original point. Which one of the four games is going to be bad tonight? Since you said three great games. Yeah, after saying that, you have to pick one. Uh, I think the the game that actually might end up uh, being the worst might be Texas Tech Duke. <sighs> from just Tech. A, from just an aesthetic standpoint, Texas Tech likes to, to to slow it down, play defense, grind it out. I think they they average offensively uh, some of the least amount of points of any team offensively in this in this tournament. Oh, uh, it's a late game because I always the, get the so last excited. game is is Houston Arizona. Okay, I always get so excited and I'm like, oh man, I got basketball all night, and then. About you know about about nine oh eight looking. Well, oh, that going, won't even be tipped off yet. Oh no no no! Somebody no somebody says how do you know you're getting older? Yeah, well you cannot remember when you went to sleep. I went to sleep last night. I can't remember if it was nine thirty or nine forty five. I mean, if you start at nine forty five, and we uh, you're talking no, about the last game is set midnight. to tip off at nine fifty nine. Okay, so you're talking about going into tomorrow. Yes, I, I'm, just, I'm just being honest. I'm probably not making. It. I mean, I'm just being honest. I don't love college basketball that much. I'm not. I'm not doing it. I will wake up and watch the highlights like anybody else. I you think don't, the, you don't I, even watch your favorite team play. I mean, in 2022, I, I decided to do something different. I do think, from a standpoint, I'm of not just, gonna watch them, but I do think, from a standpoint of just the matchup, I think the first two might be the best matchup matchup wise. Kevin said three, three games gonna be good. Be the worst <laughs> other game. Well, it's the sweet. Hey, look, we've been conditioned to think that all these games are coming down to buzzer beaters or overtime. That's not the case when you get to this round. That's why, as much as we like St. Peter's, they'll probably lose by 27 tomorrow. Right. But I mean. Oh, I'm sorry. No, I'm just, no, I'm just gonna make some picks here. I mean, of the four games, not three of them. <laughs> I am rooting for St. Peter's tonight. I'm gonna go there tomorrow. Let's get it on the record. I'll go. I'll go Gonzaga, Villanova. I think that's gonna be the best game. I think Duke, and I'll take Houston. I'm I, now. That's not what I picked to begin yeah, with. Yeah. Razorbacks, Michigan. Whoa. Razorbacks, uh, Villa, I mean Razorbacks, Michigan. Please God, Texas Tech, Arizona. So Ben went with basically every underdog except for Arizona in the ball games. Well, my I, record is already it's done. Uh, I'm going to go. I'm going to go uh, Gonzaga and Arizona. Why? Because I have to. Because I have them in my. <laughs> okay, I have them ahead, in my bracket. Ahead, BJ, and where are you at in the stand? Yeah, where he, he's behind me, looking up. <laughs> BJ's neck hurts because he's looking up. Yeah, at me at and the what's going to happen when we get to the final four? That's fine. I'll still be there. Uh, so uh, then I think Villanova wins it tonight, 
and I'm going to say Texas Tech is oh. the uh, the Coach K run Whoa. tonight. Okay, I've been wrong before. You I can suck it up. The place. You can tell me all about it tomorrow here on Three and Out. How wrong I was, and we'll see you then all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Hit us up on Twitter at Pigskin Radio.